So uh, this is the show, you know. All right. <laughs> David Sparks was, is, is, this is your first time on the talk show. I know. It's kind of exciting. It's very exciting. I, this is the thing. This is the problem. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. And the reason I've, I've put it off is I feel like it's going to take the entire episode just to tell people everything you do. <laughs> <laughs> now, a busy guy, John. What you are prolific. It's you and Renee Ritchie and Jason Snell make me sick. I feel like if I, I feel like I get to a Friday and I feel like you know I recorded a podcast and I thought it was a pretty good episode and I had one good article on Daring Fireball. And I'm like that's a good week and then I look at like what what like some of you guys do and Snell's on like 17 podcasts. He produces like 16 of them. Um, you put out a, a book and a screencast and do a podcast and keep it. You know. And Renee, of course, writes about seven or 8,000 words a week. The, um, the, the, there's a, I think it was Thelonious Monk at one point who said, it's not the notes you play. It's the notes you don't play. Well, I right? don't know. So, so you're like Monk, you know, you're the guy. Uh, anyway, the podcast you are referring to is, uh, your longtime show, Mac Power Users, which you, uh, co-host, I believe from the outset with, uh, the wonderful Katie Floyd. Yep. Uh, yep. and that is, and, and, uh, it just moved. This is, and it's motivated me because I, you know, if somebody moves, you move a show, the goddamn feed redirection, it never works right. It's, it's, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. It's terrifying when you move a show because your, your listeners are subscribed to your feed. Best thing in the world is when someone subscribes to your podcast because they're making a little bit of a commitment. And then when you do your next episode, you're getting it pushed to them when they open their podcast app of choice, or maybe their podcast app pulls it down automatically, but there it is. And that's great. And yeah, I know there's people who don't, who listen, who don't subscribe, who just wait and see if it sounds like a good episode. And then they just hit play. And that's great too. Love listeners, but subscribers are the best because subscribers give you consistency from week to week. And then when you move networks or you just, even if you don't even move networks, if you just do something behind the scenes where you, where you change from, you know, WordPress to Squarespace or, you know, something like that, and you have to change the feed, something always goes wrong. And so oh, yeah. I, it's always, a, you know, I want to help people when they do stuff like that and get people to, you know, hey, double check if, oh, yeah. you, if you were subscribed to Mac Power users, go to the, the new site. Now, the new site is, uh, you're over there on uh, the Relay. Yeah, we, we're actually shutting down. We, we've had MacPowerUsers.com since the beginning, which is kind of funny. That's back in like 2008, 2009 when we were starting the show. We were trying to pick the name of a show, and you just search websites. Oh, MacPowerUsers is available. That's a good name. So we're actually shutting down the .com. We're going to forward it over to everything at Relay. They've got a nice right. system over there, so, so it's going to be great. Where you want to go and you want to listen to the show, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more too, but it's Relay.fm slash MPU. Yeah, or or type macpowerusers.com and it'll get you there. It'll get you there. So, um, really, it's the first good show on Relay. Yeah, well, that's what I think. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know how these guys got by without me. Quite frankly, I don't understand either. Um, I, I think kid, they're I getting kid. by on the you know the British accent thing. Mike I and, know it uh, makes it sound. Mike, you know, he's not yeah. really British. You know, he was born in New Jersey. That's what I heard too, and he just likes he likes to pronounce H funny, you know, and and people like that, so. They're in. Yeah. And, he, you know, his, and, name, his name isn't really spelled with a Y. He made that up, too. It's also some kind of big iPhone cult, I'm, I'm starting to realize. Yeah. Did you, um, when did you say you and Katie started Mac Power Users? 2009. So that's interesting. That's interesting. In 2009, you still chose a name that started with Mac. 
Yeah. Well, that was kind of the idea. It, we, um, it, it's kind of a, I don't know who cares about this stuff, but the, um, Oh, I care. Every, I like to go. Everybody was telling us, we, we were thinking about, you know, doing a podcast together and, and everybody, we were at Macworld and everybody's like, don't do it. You know, there's everything that can be said about a podcast has been said. And they were kind of right. You know, they're like, well, Mac break weekly does the news and such and such. And, and I'm like, you know, I don't want to do something everybody else does. So we decided, well, let's just not do it. And we talked for like four or five months about, you know, what would we do? And ultimately I said, I want to make a show that just talks about one thing, a show. It doesn't have anything to do with news, just talks about how do you get better at email or how do you get better at this or that. And, um, and Katie's like, that's a great idea. It's good for like 10 shows and we'll be done. I said, well, then we'll make 10 really good shows. And that was 2009. So it's worked out. And you guys have just hit at least and and for your audience and probably my audience too it's it it counts as a round number you just finished episode 255 yeah so now crazy. you're you're just about to enter your uh, your second bite yeah you need two bite integers now yeah i mean we're we're not messing around and and you know what there's plenty of we've got stuff backed up we have so much we want to talk about it's i don't know i love it and it's like getting ready for this because you know i'm also a lawyer which is kind of nuts and like i spent the whole morning doing lawyer stuff and just getting ready for this call and like shutting down microsoft word and all the other stuff that i do in that part of my life oh man it felt great yeah i love the word um power user I, I think that it like went full circle where in the early years of the PC revolution, when it, PCs were just growing, growing, growing. I mean, let's, let's just say eighties and eighties through the mid to late nineties power user was used with no reservation in, you know, Mac user PC world, you know, any of those magazines would talk about, you know, tips for power users. And yeah, it's, it, I think everybody, it, it's nebulously defined. Because it has to be. There is no technical definition between, you know, a somewhat informed user and a power user. Um, but I think everybody, it, it, it fits a general loose description of somebody who's, who's truly an enthusiast, really does want to dig into some of the details, but probably falls short of being like a developer, someone who can write their own code, or, or at least, at, you know, if they do write code, it's more like Automator and AppleScript and stuff like that. Oh, and it's, it, it's absolutely aspirational for our show. And, and, you know, the, the, you know, the ideal nerd in my head is John Syracuse mm-hmm. and, and this show is not for John Syracuse. You know, it, right. it, we're not going to talk about programming pro we're going to talk. I mean, a lot of our listeners, it's kind of weird because our show has a, a big audience, but it's not the usual geeks listening to podcasts. I mean, doctors, you know, business people, you know, single moms, people who just want to get better at this stuff. So it's an interesting yeah, like, space we occupy. Like, like, um, uh, somebody was telling me, I forget who, um, somebody had a dentist. So their dentist, I have some of my friends has a dentist, but he's like a nut for max. And so he's always kept his practices, you know, he does all the it stuff for his practice and has a couple, you know, has always been a Mac guy and, you know, writes his own file maker stuff for the, you know, to keep the practice and stuff like that. But he's a dentist. That's his full-time thing, you know, but he has made, you know, this little, little system of stuff that works exactly the way he needs it for his practice. You know, that's yeah. a power user. 
And there's a good chance he listens to our show. It probably is. We have right? a lot of dentists. But I think we, I mean, we have, it's funny. We just have all walks of life, but it, it's fun. And with a Mac, there's so much you can do. I mean, with little automation tools, you don't need to learn to program. If you get good at Hazel or, mm-hmm. you know, Keyboard Maestro or even just Text Expander, you can like make so much magic happen. So yeah. we talk about that stuff all the time. It's fun. I do think, and I do think though, and this is one of the things I want to talk about. So you name the show Mac Power Users. And I do think, I think that even though that naming Apple related websites, Mac, whatever, is probably always was a bad idea in hindsight because something new was going to come. Like it would have, it would have worked out poorly two decades ago if the Newton had really caught on. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, you, it was harder to get legal permission to use Apple than Mac, even though Apple often objected to Mac whatever names for some years. And then they kind of backed off that. But with with the target audience of your and Katie's show, I feel like it really does work because I think it's harder to be the nature of iOS and the restrictions of iOS um, make it harder to be a power user on iOS. And that's not that doesn't mean to say that you can't be. I mean, there is text expander for iOS. And then you can know about, you know, apps like Launch Center Pro and um um, workflow. Yeah. Workflow Crazy. is another good example. Um, drafts is probably like the, well, there's, there's a bunch of power user, um, text note type apps. Um, but to me, it's different. I don't know. And I do find it interesting because I certainly consider myself to be a Mac power user. Right. And, and, you know, uh, BB edit to me is like the canonical Mac power user app. Uh, Omni Group is at uh, their entire lineup is it, everything about their apps is geared towards power users. In my opinion, yeah. I mean, not that you can't like a, like a casual user can't just start using some of their apps. Like you could just open Omni Outliner and just Command N, and if you have any idea like from fifth grade what an outline is, you'll you'll be right at home. But the whole reason that they're so successful and they can charge you know serious money for the app is that it's it's got so many. Uh, you know, power user yeah. features. You could tweak it to make it yeah. just the way you like it. Uh, Omni apps, like getting an Omni app and just using it out of the box without like really digging in is kind of like getting a Lamborghini and just driving it in parking lots. Yes. You know, there's just so much more you right. can do with this thing. Um, yeah, but you know, our show doesn't, the, the way we've dealt with that is, um, and I'd almost argue that you can get more automation stuff going these days on iOS, but you know, it's, it's still a, a journey, but the way we've dealt with on the shows, we deal, we still do shows, entire shows on iPhone and iPad and iOS related topics. And we just kind of ignore a problem with the name. And I don't know, someday yeah. I mean, we, we've bought some other URLs and we've talked about it, but it's like, you've kind of got a brand now and yeah, I would let it go. I would, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. I think people understand. And I yeah. think I think the thing that makes it work is that the type of iOS users who are going to be listening are going to be their 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 PC is a Mac too. They're not Windows people, you know. Oh yeah, that's the assumption, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, I find it interesting but, personally though because I still definitely consider myself a Mac power user. I have a lot of custom modifications, you know, to paraphrase Han Solo, um, that that power my whole workflow for almost everything I do, from email to. Um, especially posting stuff to daring fireball, um, you know, custom bookmarklets, uh, custom automator services that I've written a lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff related around the way I, I do markdown. Um, yeah, two uh, points on that. 
two points on that. Number one, I wish you'd share more of that because yeah. occasionally you do post one. I used on to. Firewall. I used to post that stuff all the time, and then somehow I've gotten away from it, and I realize I've got like this backlog of what I think are some pretty cool shit. Uh, all right, and and the second thing is, I I will give you the microphone for as long as you want on Mac Power Users one day to come on and just talk about this stuff. We we don't have to talk about any news. Right. You can just tell us how you use <laughs> your. It mic. might be a good venue for it. Really might. Uh, yeah. But I don't really use, I don't really do any of that type of stuff on iOS. On iOS, and I use my phone a lot, and, and I've been noticing it with the watch, and we can get to that later on the show, but, um, I have been, I, I've been running my iPhone down into the red a lot lately, a lot more than I was even just like six months ago. But I don't really do anything power usury on it. I don't use any of those apps. You know, I don't use text expander. I don't use drafts. I don't use, um, I don't use Lawn Center Pro. I don't use, um, workflow. I, I have loaded all of them and I've looked at them and I've appreciated them and I can see why every single one of those apps, uh, has become a hit and has like a serious enthusiast following. But like the way I use my iPhone, it just none of that really resonates. Some of the most productive stuff I've done on iOS is just sitting down, opening ByWord, because it's got a great iCloud sync, and I'll just dictate text into it. And no formatting, you know, no scripts, nothing. Just I just want to get text somewhere. And like on the phone, you can do that, <laughs> you know, and um and I'm a I'm an indie guy now, so I'm out on my own all the time. So I'm all, you know, I'll be I'll be sitting at Disneyland and I'll sit down for thirty minutes and just get a bunch of text into the thing. And the iPhone and the iPad are great for that. Mm. And that that's um yeah. that's a useful productivity tip. It doesn't have to be all, you know, I don't have to post from there, I don't have to format, I don't have to do anything. I just want to get text somewhere and that gives me a starting point. Yeah, I think and you know, the the app that I helped design and make, Vesper, is definitely not a power user notes app. It is very, very straightforward and obvious. And there's, there's no secret stuff for, you know, it doesn't have any markdown support. That's like the most surprising things to so many people that it just doesn't do anything related to markdown. But then I say to them, well, I said, I write markdown in it all the time. I just put asterisks around words. I want to yeah, be italic, exactly. <laughs> put braces around I, URLs. I was like, so, you know, it doesn't do anything with it, but it's like, that's the, the whole, <laughs> my whole thinking around the creation of markdown low these many years ago. What, what the hell has it been now? 11 years or something like that. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, uh, was that you could just enter, you know, an asterisk anywhere you were entering text, you know? But, you know, it's, it's. I mean, I don't, you know, you have done so much good for the internet with Markdown. And I know it's a tool you just made for yourself, but, you know, putting it out there, I, I'm, I'm really appreciative of it. And um, I even wrote a book on Markdown. I, we can get to that. I know. <laughs> but, but the, uh, but it's just, you know, it's just so useful. I mean, I do everything in it. And, and I don't know. What, when are you going to get uh, your app on the Mac? Because I cannot wait. Because I need, I need it. It's a long story. I, right. I, I need it too. I can cheat, and I've been cheating because I have, uh, I have Vesper for iPad running in an iOS simulator twenty twenty four seven. Which is easy, right? <laughs> it isn't great. It's not, you know, it's like weird. So weird. I don't know if you've ever. Do you ever uh, have anything running in like the iOS simulator? Yeah, I've fiddled around it's, with it, but yeah. I, I understand. I'm not complaining because it's the iOS simulator. Now, you're not supposed to use apps like this, but like if you paste text in, the way you do it is you're in a Mac app, you select the text, you copy, you go over to the iOS simulator, you paste, but then you have to tap 
in the text field and hit the paste, like pasting just pastes it into the iOS simulator Mac app. Then in the iOS simulator, you have to tap the insertion point where you want the text to go and then tap the paste button on the little pop-up menu to get it to paste into iOS. You have to paste twice. Yeah. And the same thing for copying out. You have that, to cop- that would make me crazy. Yeah. it's it, Well, that's probably why I drink. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, yeah, but I, it's a long, long story that we cannot get into where, where Vesper for Mac is. But we we are keenly aware that, that everybody wants it. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Good enough place right here. Let me take a break and um, do our first sponsor. And it is a brand new sponsor. I'm very excited to have a new sponsor. I love this. Uh, it's a company called Last Bottle Wines. Last Bottle is a daily wine purveyor. Much loved for its beautiful website, 30 to 75% discounts on fine wine, shipping included, and carefully curated and often highly sought after wine selections by longtime Napa Valley pros. Last Bottle takes all the hassle out of deciding on what to buy and makes it a quick and educated decision. Does this sound, does this wine sound great? Is the price amazing? Is shipping included? Yes, yes, yes. So easy. Lots of places to buy wine online, of course. In fact, uh, the owners of Last Bottle had already been doing just that for years in the Napa Valley before building Last Bottle, the online wine business that instantly uh, hit every wine drinker's buttons. With a combined 66 years in the Napa Valley, these guys are connected, and they use those relationships to source outstanding wines from exceptional wineries and put it in the hands of wine lovers at sensational prices, cutting out the middlemen. One wine a day, every day. Uh, sounds great to me. Uh, I, I really, I, me personally, I don't know much about wine at all. This sounds fantastic to me. Uh, but here's the thing that they've got that's uh, really pushed them forward is they're going beyond a website. Uh, they've, they're releasing a very simple, easy-to-use iPhone app featuring push notifications of their daily wine offers. The team at Last Bottle wanted a way to reach a more connected audience of wine lovers and couldn't think of a better crowd to introduce it to than you guys, the talk show. Uh, here's the other thing too. Some of these wines that they, they get, they're one wine a day. It's like, you know, like one of these uh, deal a day type things, right? But it's just for wine. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes uh, it's really limited quantities. So if you really want to get juiced into what they're offering, uh, the best way you could do it is, is get these push notifications. You're only going to get one a day, but then you can go look at it. And if it's one that's going to sell out, sometimes they sell out within an hour or two, uh, you won't miss out. So if you are serious about wine or if you want to get serious about wine, check these guys out. It really does look beautiful. really does seem like a fantastic way um, to learn about new wines and to get great wine sent to you at what seems to me to be great, great prices. Here's where you go. Uh, go to www.lastbottlewines.com slash the talk show. That's lastbottlewines.com slash the talk show. And everything you need to do is right there on the website, uh, including links to their app and et cetera, et cetera. So my thanks to uh, Last Bottle. Great new sponsor. Don't you love that there's non-tech companies now sponsoring tech podcasts? Oh, I think I've been saying to people, I think that that's not that I mind any of the uh, uh, tech companies that do sponsor it. I mean, because that's obvious why they do. But I think that the non-tech products uh, 
it's brilliant. And I think that all of our shows, all the shows that you think of that people who listen to like Mac Power Users or the talk show or ATP, uh, any of the shows on Relay FM, it's really not about tech. I mean, there are other podcasts and other podcast networks that, that maybe are more purely technical. It's sort of like the old divide between Mac publications and PC publications. Um, you know, and, and like the type of things where they, where they talk about, you know, their first emphasis is on uh, specs or something like that. That's a different type of world. Like, you know, this show's not about that. Your show's not about that. Our show attracts, our shows attract people who are picky and care about shit. That's it. Yep. Right. And tech just happens to be one of them. And so if your product, whether it's, you know, mattresses or wine or pillows or all this crazy shit, which I never would have thought that, that I'd be selling sponsorships for it. Uh, I think it makes total sense that they have great success with our shows because, you know, some chunk of our audience of the audience that listens to this show that cares about the Mac and iOS and really wants to hear us talk about the Apple watch also really cares about wine and, uh, really wants to be able to buy it in a, in a cool way and get a great price. Uh, so I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, I agree. Sort of in a way that like a political magazine, no one would ever think that in like a magazine that focuses on like national affairs, that all the ads would be for politics. What the hell are you even advertised with politics? I think the thing with tech that might be, that might, and I, I myself felt, you know, fell, fell to this, like I told you, like years ago, I wouldn't have expected these, these type of sponsors, but, um, like a national affairs magazine, what are they filled with? They're filled with ads for cars and watches and, you know, just all sorts of general purpose products. It also indicates that the, that the platform of podcasting is getting more legitimate. I mean, when we first started doing ads, a lot of people really had trouble understanding, you know, they don't even understand the metrics because everything is different from traditional advertising. In fact, I talked to some traditional advertising guys that just poo poo the whole thing, you know, but you know, they don't understand that's where people are going to get content now. Yeah. Well, in 2007, when this show started its first run with me and me and Dan Benjamin, uh, the very first run of it, you could see those episodes at uh, the talk show.net still. Um, we wanted sponsors and I was selling, you know, I was already, I think I went full time with Daring Fireball in 2006. So I was all, and, and, Partially based on user, you know, direct support from readers, from memberships and T-shirts and stuff like that. But the memberships and T-shirts thing really was just the way that I launched going full time. The only way that I got to be in the black, like month to month, which I, I think it was like April 2006 when I announced I was going full time and sold a bunch of T-shirts and had like $20,000 or something like that, that we cruised on through the summer and just kind of started mowing through and got like by August, it was like, we had like nothing, but sponsorships were starting to pick up a little bit. I remember by like, it was either October or November where like the little Excel spreadsheet where we were keeping track of it, where it was the first month where it was like, Hey, this, we actually made a little more than we spend on all of our expenses. Um, so I was, you know, by 2007, when we started the talk show, I was definitely selling enough sponsorships for Daring Fireball that made it a, a legitimate job. Uh, we couldn't find anybody to sponsor the podcast. I mean, like nobody. We couldn't even sell it spots for like 250 bucks. Yeah. I did, I'd never heard the Daring Fireball origin story before. It's interesting. Well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a pair, though, you know, to like give up a job. And well, you've sort of done that. I, was, I don't want to talk about me. Let's talk about you. 
So you, you have already said you are an attorney. Now you, uh, this is another reason I put off putting Ivan in the show. Now you live in, uh, somewhere in Southern California. Yeah. Orange County. Right. So that's yeah. why I've been waiting to have you on the show right now today here in Philadelphia. It is 70 degrees and sunny. It was 70 degrees and sunny yesterday. And I believe the forecast tomorrow is around 70 degrees and sunny. So F you. <laughs> I don't even have the weather widget on my, my Apple watch. Cause I live in Southern California. What do you need that for? Somebody said that to me we were I forget. I had a friend. Uh, oh, it was, uh, Adam Lisa Gore. Uh, uh, the other week before he was on on my show and we were, you know, preparing and he's so, 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 so excited about the Apple watch. And he was like, let me see. He goes quick without changing anything. Show me your watch face. And I sent him a screenshot of my watch face. And he was like, why do you utility utility? Uh, it is utility. It's utility with no, no hour numbers with the date at three o'clock with the fitness top right weather top left and right now i have my calendar at the bottom but i i i diddle around with that and sometimes turn that off just turn it off to nothing rather than have that goddamn no more events in in all caps why that's got the the geeks are really mad about that no more events thing i don't know it doesn't bother me it really bothers me and because it bothers me because uh if it was a real watch if it was a mechanical way of doing it it would just blank out like, so the, the, the equivalent, and again, this isn't skeuomorphic. It's not, they're not making it look like it flips around and that it's a little cutout panel that shows this, right? I think they've designed it perfectly, but it is sort of mimicking the way that like, like the way that the, the little hour or not the hour, the day of the month thing at three o'clock, it, it's a little panel, just like on a mechanical watch on an automatic watch. So if you think about like a train station, and there's the board that shows all of the upcoming trains. Um, when there's like room to show 12, but they, there's only seven trains coming in the next, you know, reasonable amount of time. The bottom five rows don't say no more trains. It's just, they just leave it blank. Like if there's nothing left, the natural state of, a, of an information panel is to just show nothing. Yeah, and, and it actually takes effort to have it display no more events. I mean, there's code that does right. that. So that, that code could display blank just as easily. The explanation I've heard, the best theory I've heard for why they show that is that if you are the sort of person, I think that the, the dividing line of whether you are bothered by this or not is whether you have a lot of events on your calendar or not. Do you live the sort of life where you have a lot of meetings and stuff like that uh, and that you seldom see no more events. And when so that, you, that's me. And yeah. when you do see it, it's like a relief. It's, it's like an inbox zero type of euphoria that you get, right? It's like, ah, my day is done. No more events. It actually pleases you to see it because you started your day with a whole bunch of stuff that, that, that was going to cycle through. Whereas yeah. with me, uh, more often than not, uh, you know, I've got nothing on a, on a regular day or the only thing I have, I do have like a calendar subscription to the Yankees schedule. And so the only thing on my watch is just telling me the Yankees play at seven, but I knew that already, you know, I don't really need that on the, the calendar thing. Um, I sounds to me like you're living right, brother. <laughs> I think it's, I have a lot of events on mine. So I think, I think the no more events thing, I think it, hopefully it'll change. I, I could, I really, you know, again, I, I just like a constant refrain of the last decade is I know like at some point around a decade ago, we collectively realized that 
adding preferences every time there's any kind of dispute over something is not the way to build sustainable software for years to come, because eventually you end up with, you know, at, at any given one feature, it's not a bad idea. But as a general principle, if you keep doing that, you end up with these crazy, you know, there's way too many preferences here and you're lost trying to find anything. But I do think that maybe this one should be a, a setting. And I, the reason why well, is that I, I feel like some people want to see that and some people are just annoyed by that. I don't know that anybody, you know, I guess on my side of the fence would really care if it never said no more events again. I, I'd be fine if it was blank at the end of the day. seems like the people on the side of saying get rid of it are much more passionate about that than the people that would want to keep it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind, too, if there was some way that it would show. I, the argument I've seen is that some people say that if it showed nothing, it would create anxiety in them because it would make them feel like the calendar wasn't syncing anymore. You know, that, that it had lost the connection and that their watch was no, and that they do have an event upcoming, but that the watch isn't reading it, you know, that somehow, um, I, I don't know. I, I can't really buy that. I, I, it's, it's interesting because I used a pebble for a long time, right up until the time the Apple watch released. And I was always, the pebble was always losing connection with the phone and, uh, you know, whether it was a calendar entry or the weather or whatever, it just, you know, it, it was clearly bad and or old data. And ever since the Apple watch arrived, I mean, I, I, that's just not even an issue for me. I always know that if I look at the weather, it's going to be the actual current weather actually where I'm located mm -hmm. or the calendar data is going to be accurate. Uh, there's been no failure. I mean, I, I have complete faith in it at this point. And, and I guess that's probably unfair to Pebble because they're not Apple. They don't have the same access to the operating system that the Apple Watch guys had. But, boy, it just works. Yeah. In fact, that's the weird thing about the watch is you don't fiddle with it much. I, in my case, I mean, once I figured it out, I just started wearing it, and it was my watch. Yeah. What, and that was that. What's your watch face? Uh, utility. What color? <laughs> what color? Uh, black. I mean, utility. Oh, the the watch itself is the um. What do they call it? No, no, no. It? But um, what color? What's your what's your highlight color for you? Oh, orange. Orange. Same orange. here. Yeah, the default. I love oh, really? orange. Yeah. Yeah, me too. My high school was black and orange, and I always thought that those they were, it not just out of like sheer loyalty, you know, to whatever shitty colors your high school had. I always thought it was a it was a good look and a, a rare one that there's not many teams in sports with black and orange. Were you, were you the Tigers? No, we were the uh, the Mountaineers. Uh, Tigers is a natural. I, you know, Tigers is usually like the uh, like the NFL uh, Bengals. You know, it's a yeah. natural orange and black combo. My high school is black and orange. Yeah, for a minute there, I thought we may have gone huh. to the same school. Wouldn't that have been funny? But the uh, yeah, so I've got and I've got the what do they call it the um, the budget Darth Vader watch. You know, the black aluminum with the. Um, uh, the rubber band, yeah. the black rubber, and and the orange. It looks really nice together. I do the same thing when I use the modular face. I have them all orange. Yeah, yeah. I like the orange. My son has it uh, has has uh, red, which I've seen a lot of people with screenshots. You know, for modular, he's a yeah. He's a digital guy. Did he get his watch. Last time I heard you talking, he hadn't got it. Yet. No, he got it. He and ahead of schedule. Um, so everything everything we've ordered for the house has shown up except for my black steel links watch which my, uh, seemingly nobody has gotten yet my my oldest daughter is freshman in college she got one and she got it finally and she um she sent me a um a diagram on it i'm like oh cool she's sending me a message she wrote poop <laughs> <laughs> that's a good kid I mean, yeah exactly <laughs>
said, you pooped on my watch. She said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I tried to draw a pile of poo the one time. It's not, I'm not good enough. Yeah. I, I can't draw anything on this thing. Yeah. I mean, just, it's terrible. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know if that's really going to be a thing. I, the heartbeat thing with my wife, that's cool. Um, the taps, we, you can kind of develop a language with the taps, but the drawing the picture thing, I'm not sure where, where that's going. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the other thing that I don't know about is um, the the interface for you. You tap the side button to bring up the little twelve o'clock, you know, the twelve spot dial for picking a contact. Um, and now that so many people I know have an Apple Watch, are you beyond twelve? Now? Oh, it's e- definitely. And so, what do you do? I do you send- I had to start. I've already had to cut people. Uh, and in that just doesn't even mention the people who I might want to have on a quick contact list who don't have Apple watch, but I want them there so that I could quick send them a text message, um, from my wrist. Right. I I don't, is there even a way to send a, a a tap or a picture to someone who's not on that list of 12? I don't think there is. No, no, no. But you can still initiate a phone call or a text. So yeah. that's, it's a way to tell. You can actually tell whether somebody has an Apple Watch registered to their Apple ID. Is you put them in your your friends list, that twelve spot friends list, and if they have an Apple Watch, they have three options. Yeah, the center button. The center exists. button exists, and if not, they yeah. don't. And so, um, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Like in, in anticipation, I, I figured I didn't know, but I figured that Jim Dalrymple would be getting. Um, would be getting a watch before April 24th. So every day I was checking to see if he'd gotten one yet. And then like on the 23rd, he, sh- he showed up with the thing. And then I quick sent him a picture of a, of a dick because <laughs> I wanted to be the first person to do it. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it is an issue because this watch is going to be popular. And like, if you want it, so if you want to be able to do that with a friend, they have to get on your list of 12, yeah. even though you may want somebody else that doesn't have a watch on that list of 12, or maybe you have more than 12 people that have watches. And it just seems like I, a very limiting interface for something that they clearly intend to be a massively important part of the watch, given that it's the one and only feature that, that is that you can do with, there's only two buttons on the thing, hardware buttons. And one of yeah. them, when you single press it, it's all it, there is no configuration. All it does is bring this side menu up. Um, or friends list up from the side. Um, and to, to limit it to 12 like that really feels uh, really limited. I, I, it's just really weird. And now that I'm filled up with 12, somebody, uh, I forget who it was, but somebody sent me a, a, a doodle the other day. Um, and I wanted to add them to my list, but I already had 12. And then at that point, what you have to do is you have to go to the phone and delete somebody and add that person manually. Like there's no way to do it right there on the fly as you, as you get it. Yeah. It's, I bet that evolves. I think it has to, I think it's, it's way too, I mean, I, you know, it it would be easy to change. I don't think anybody's going to become addicted to this 12 people in a circle thing. So I think it would be easy to break that in the future and do something new. And quite frankly, it's already changed because it's a very different interface from what they showed in September. Yeah. yeah. Was it a grid? I forget. Was it a grid? I think, or when they, originally- I, I actually forget, but I know it wasn't a circle. I totally yeah. forget what it was in September, but I know it wasn't a circle. It's hard to look it's up on the fly though. because Apple's sort of thrown the, the September thing down the memory hole. 
it's fun though. It's fun having this watch on and, you know, getting notifications on my wrist and just the basic stuff. But it's also just fun, like sending taps to people. And I don't know. I, I think they've done a good job with it. Yeah, I do too. Um, so you living in, um, Orange County, um, I saw that when you first got it and you wrote up your experiences with it right away, you had gone to Disneyland and it looked like typical Orange County weather. It was sunny. Yeah. Um, that to me is as it gets nicer and nicer here in Philadelphia as as we go into May from April and it's a lot fewer overcast days and a, like a lot of more days like today where it's just absolutely positively perfect. I find it hard to read the watch in sunlight. Yeah, that in direct sunlight it it is harder to read. Although I find I think that's one of maybe the reasons I like the utility face. It's very easy to um to see. I mean the the hands are big enough that you're just fine. Like the chronograph, I don't know. I don't think I could read that. Even it's, just, I think that's very difficult to read. Um, yeah, because the hands are they, hollow. They're not. They're not filled, yeah. and the extra superfluous stuff. Um, there's just no way I could read that yeah. stuff. I'm I'm 47. There's just it's not even possible. I I don't even know what those what they're doing in there. I can't. <laughs> maybe a magnifying glass or something. But the uh, yeah, it's it's great. Um, the uh, I haven't had a whole lot of trouble. I, I can, if I take out in direct sunlight, I can see how the, uh, the panel's not attached to the glass. Like I've kind of got used to on the iPhone and the iPad. And, um, but you know, it's generation one. Uh, I don't know about that. I remember there was an ATP episode a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about it, how, whether the panel is attached to the glass or not. And I think, and, and, I might get this detail wrong, but I think and then in the next episode in their follow up, there was one of the Johnny Ive videos where they said on uh, Johnny Ive said on some of the on some of the watches, the the display is fused to the sapphire crystal. And that's all he said. So I think it is. I think it is fused to the surface. I think it looks pretty close. And I think that in certain lighting, you can definitely see the display through the Sapphire, but it's, it's rare for me, even in sunlight, it's rare for me. I wonder if, cause mine's aluminum. And, uh, so I don't have the Sapphire crystal. I wonder if, it's- well, and the ATB guys brought it up. What, what Johnny Ive said, and it's just his recording. It's ambiguous what that means for the sport models, because does he mean all of them are fused and, uh, but some only some of them have Sapphire or does he mean only the ones with Sapphire are fused? I don't know. It, it, I looked at my son's sports watch and it didn't look to me like it was any different, but I also have to admit that it, at age 42 and with the, the trouble with my left eye, um, I, I can really see the difference. Like this is the first time ever that I've had seen an Apple product where, um, I, I really couldn't. I, I think the 38 actually looks good on my wrist. I think I could totally get by with it in terms of the size, but I actually do struggle to read it in a way that I don't struggle to read the 42. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> my my wife's because I had the black one. Those were constrained. So my wife's uh, blue phone. I'm sorry, blue watch with the uh, silver aluminum showed up on day one, and she let me wear it for a few days because I wanted to fiddle with it more than she did. And it was 38 and it was fine and it looked good on me, but, but I agree. Once the bigger one showed up, I knew exactly that was, that was for me. I think Adam had the same thing, didn't he? Yeah. I think he was saying he did the yeah. same thing. So like, for example, on the uh, chronograph is a perfect, now I don't really use the chronograph that much. Although I do sometimes, the reason I like it is that you can just switch to chronograph. So I have chronograph two, two watch faces over and then you're one tap away from starting a timer or a stopwatch. Like if you wanted yeah. to, you know, um, uh, 
you know, like I do it like when I put charcoal on the grill and then just boom, start a stopwatch. And then I know, you know, once it gets to like 25 minutes, start checking it to see if it's ready. Um, yeah. I, Siri timer. Awesome. Yeah. Just hold, hold it down. Um, but I, with the 38 millimeter with my son's 38 millimeter, I can't read the sub dials on the chronograph. And it makes me feel incredibly old. Like the little, there's a, there's a stopwatch or a second hand underneath and, uh, uh, it, well, it depends how you have it configured, but there's two sub dials. That's what those little sub, you know, circles are. I can't read the numbers on them on his and I can read them on mine. You know, it was about your age. I am. I, w- I noticed I was holding books out further and further from me as I read them. And, uh, someone said, you know, you, you may have, you know, you may have a problem there. And I, we were at Costco, I'll never forget. And they had, you know, those, those sample reading glasses. And I put a pair on and looked at some words and I'm just like, ah, oh, damn, I'm getting old. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm looking at, I fix it on their teardown of an aluminum one. And it's not clear, but it looks like it may be attached. Yeah, it's pretty close to the surface. And I, I think yeah. that the effect, the overall effect of the entire black surface, whichever model you have, looks like it's the display and the actual display just takes up, you know, some portion within it with these generous, what seems to be generous margins around it. In fact, though, like those, when you have stuff out to the corner, they're really writing it right out to the corner of the display. And I, yeah, it's crazy. When you, when you take a screenshot and you see, it and you're like, wow, that doesn't look right. Yeah. That, it looks, looks totally perfect. Wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it, it was definitely true with some of the initial um, apps that came out in April that they had way too the margin, you know, they had like even just two or three pixels of margin. It, it really made their, their stuff look cramped. Have you done the fitness stuff much? Have you played with that much yet? Uh, a little bit. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting back into running now that uh, I'm cleared to it with the, the eye stuff. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm using it to run a couple times a week and I track, you know, sometimes I do it. I don't know. I think when I go out, well, I live in a city and so I walk everywhere. And to me going on a walk, like walking somewhere, like if I walk to pick up my son from school, it's like one and a half miles away. So it's like th- three mile walk round trip. That doesn't feel like exercise to me, like walking. I mean, it's, I think it's good for you. And I think it's one of the nice parts about living in a city, but to me, that doesn't feel like a workout. It feels silly to me to start the workout app and say, I'm going on a walk and I'm just walking. But I do it just to have it to play with. The thing I realize is it because it, I I never really thought about heart rate much because I walk a lot too, and I'm thinking well, I'm doing great with exercise. I'm walking all over the place. But wearing the watch for the first week, I realized you know I didn't do anything to raise my heart rate the whole week. So now the watch actually has changed my behavior. So now I'm like looking for hills to climb or hmm. uh, spending a little time every day, kind of get my heart rate up and. And I'm not sure if it's just the newness of the watch, if, if this will stick or not, but it bothers me now when I get to the end of the day, I haven't got my 30 minutes of elevated heart rate. Yeah. And I do think too, that the fitness stuff, even though I'm not a super big fitness enthusiast, but I'm wearing it every day. And so now I've got, you know, I'm up to like six weeks now of, you know, daily stuff. It is keeping me from like wearing my old watch. Like it's like the, one of the main, it probably the main thing that's keeping me from just wearing my old watch on, you know, just for kicks, which is something I used, you know, used to switch between two watches. And I anticipated that I wouldn't want to wear my Apple watch every single day, or maybe even not most days, but the fitness stuff kind of motivates me too. And I've heard other people say the same thing. Cause you don't want to have, you don't want to lose a day and have a day where it, you know, makes it look like you never got out of bed. Yeah. Or even like when you get out of bed in the morning and let's say I'm going to be working in pajamas for two hours, 
I'll still put the watch on because I know I'm going to be going up and down the steps and doing stuff, and I, I don't want to lose that credit. So it, it's funny. I'm very motivated to get this watch on as soon as I wake up in the morning. Yeah. Um, I do find, though, I still find, like, uh, before we move on from watch stuff, but I do find I'm still, right from my first review one week after wearing it, I still am annoyed when I look at it and the display doesn't turn on for whatever yeah. reason. And it just happened to me while I was coming up the stairs, my office here at the house is, you know, second floor. And I was coming up here to do the podcast and my arms were full. Um, I had a coffee mug in one hand and I had my thermos filled with the coffee, um, that I've been refilling in the other. And so I couldn't, I couldn't tilt my wrist, my, but I got the, I got the tap that I had an, I had an alert and I look at my wrist to see what it was and it's just black. And I was just so annoyed even though I was only 10 seconds away from being able to set it down and see what it was. But it's like, if you're going to give me the tap, I want to see the goddamn thing. You know, my take on that is that they, um, at some point they said the one story we never want written about the Apple watch is that the battery dies at 5 PM. Yep. I think they said, you know, more than anything. And like, it also bothers me that, that it, turns off in like, was it six seconds? Because sometimes yeah. I actually need more than six seconds, six seconds to process what's on the screen. And I just feel like somewhere they said, you know, we're going to make it extra sensitive. We're not going to make it turn on just anytime you flick your wrist, we're not going to leave it on long. And we're never going to have a story written that says it turned that the battery died at five. And I think they, you know, they kind of went too far. I mean, I go to bed things at 45% battery. Left, yeah. For me, it's after an 18 hour day. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I, for me, it's the battery has been such a non-issue. The only time I ever got vaguely close, never once ran it all the way down, but one time in the first week while I was really, you know, uh, working pretty much morning to night on how am I going to write this first review of the watch, you know, when the embargo drops next week, uh, I mean, and really using it in a way that was not reflective of the daily use of it. It was really more like I'm, um, I, I was like almost like a quality assistance tester, you know, like I'm testing the watch. Like it was my job to play with it all day. I ran it down to the like 10% or something like that. But that was, that yeah. was truly abnormal. I do think though that there is, a, I haven't seen anybody publish any kind of specs on this, but I think the difference between 38 and 42 on battery life is truly significant. Because it seems like yeah. my wife and son, who both have 38, definitely finished the day lower. N neither one has ever run out, um, but they're both significantly lower. I, I was thinking I'd be buying an extra magnetic charger and like keep it in my car. And I, I had all these like ideas when I first heard about the watch. And I don't need any of that stuff. For me, it's just plug it in at the end, you know, charge at the end of the day yeah. and you're fine. Yeah. But if I had a setting and I feel like the other thing they wanted to do, I think you're exactly right that they said, we don't want anybody saying that this thing is crapping out before they go to bed. Um, so I feel like the roughly day and a half battery life that they've hit uh, is exactly right. Cause that way you definitely have to charge it every day, but you, I don't see anybody complaining that the watch is turning black before they go to sleep. Yeah. But I can, you know, and there are some hypothetical scenarios. I mean, I'm, I'm an old man and I just stay home all the time. Um, but when I was a younger man, there were times where I would, you know, spur the moment, uh, wind up, you know, sleeping somewhere that wasn't my house. Uh, you know, just sleeping at a friend's, you know, 
You handled that really well. <laughs> I don't even mean to imply anything. I don't mean to imply anything, uh, any kind of even adult situation, maybe other than the, the consumption of adult beverages. Yeah. Uh, when I was a younger man, it'd be more like an overnight halo party. Right. Or, you know what? You know what? That's a, that's an example too. No, I've, uh, like in college, like we would have, uh, uh all night marathon sessions, you know, where you had to, yeah. if you wanted to play, uh, a network game, you had to be on a LAN. So that's a perfect example where there's nothing in a, I'm not implying anything inappropriate or that I led any kind of crazy lifestyle. But, you know, in college, I sometimes would not sleep at in my bedroom or yeah. I wouldn't come home until six or seven in the morning. You know, in which case I, I do wonder whether the watch I don't know that the watch as it is today would would make it. But then these like charging straps and weird things are showing up. I, I think that's all completely bananas. I, I wouldn't it's crazy to me. And I don't understand because you have to, the only way to charge it is to, is underneath. And that's going to, it, I don't see how that can possibly work with the, uh, with the sensors that they have. Yeah. Cause the sensors start going bananas if they're not connected to your skin. It's, it's funny how much time we spend, you know, as geeks spend thinking about battery life and, and batteries. Cause we, uh, the whole world has changed in the last five, six years. It's all mobile now. And, and charging life and battery time is so key. And, and, and it's the big constraint right now too. So everything you think about charging, mm. I, I'm, I'm obsessive about it. I have uh, charging docks all over my house. And like, if I'm just sitting here right now, my phone's in a charger. It doesn't need to be. It's at a hundred percent. It's, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, but I can't help myself. Have you found that your watch or your iPhone gets worse battery life now that you're using it with your watch? I haven't noticed any difference. I'm convinced that I am. I'm convinced that, and I think it's because I never used anything Bluetooth before. And so yeah. I had it on for, um, uh, what's the feature called? Hand, uh, uh, does it hand off? Does handoff require Bluetooth though? Or does it, could, I think it uses both. Yeah, it may not, but I know that like, um, airdrop requires Bluetooth, but, yeah. but it only ever, before I started using Apple watch, I was only ever had the gray Bluetooth in the status bar. The gray Bluetooth means like Bluetooth is on, but you're not connected to anything. It's just, yeah. it's just low power mode and it's there for like, Oh, okay. Hey, you can hand off this web page or this email that you've started writing on your phone to this other thing. And it only really does anything, but now it's black all the time. It's the black Bluetooth because it's connected to the watch and I'm convinced I'm getting worse battery life on the phone. I'm still making it through the day, but I'm dropping into the red. Whereas in the first few months of using an iPhone six, I never was in the red. Yeah. I use Bluetooth headphones and stuff all day long. So it's, uh, I, I can't tell any difference. I'll tell you one thing about the watch that, um, I didn't expect to like as much as I do is the whole force touch thing. I mean, it just, I'm finding, I'm finding, I really like having that additional user interface you know, mm. methodology, like just clearing your notifications with a force press. Yeah. You know, it's, I hope that that stuff makes its way to the phone. I've the said this soon. before, and I know it sounds like a joke, but my number two, I have two tips for anybody who gets Apple watch is I know what you're going to do is what you're going to do is you're going to rip open a box and you're going to put it on and you're going to go through the pairing process and just start using it and exploring and doing it on your own. So go ahead. I'm not going to tell you to, you know, take your vitamins, um, open it up, put it on, play with it. And then a day or two later, when you feel like you're confused, you feel like you're not getting it all. Here's the two things to do. Go back to your packaging and reread the getting started pamphlet, which is just six panels. I'm not saying read the user manual. I'm saying just read that getting started panel, which is like, it's like a, almost a more like a comic book than a user manual. 
Um, because you'll, I, I, I guarantee you, most people will find something that they didn't know or didn't remember. Like, oh, that's how you do Apple Pay. You start by double tapping that button. Like, cause I'll admit yeah. when I, I'll admit I, it's like when I would, the first week that I had the Apple watch, um, I, I couldn't get Apple pay to work. I went to whole foods and I held my watch up to the, I figured it worked like the phone. I knew that I had to double tap that button to confirm it. I, I just figured you start by holding your watch up to the terminal. And then when it pings like, okay, ready for Apple pay, then you double tap to confirm and nothing happened. And I thought, oh, well maybe I didn't set it up right. And then yeah. event, you know, but just read that pamphlet. I'm telling you, you're going to learn something. And there's so many questions. I see it on Twitter every day when, because people are still getting their watches and they're asking questions that are answered in that, that pamphlet. And then my, it's like the, the one that where if you double tap the, um, the crown, it goes to the last yep, app. Yep. People, I, I've That's, seen people say, I wish there was some way to just go back to the last app. And it's like, there is a way you double click, <laughs> double click the crown. It's they've really thought of that. And then my second tip, my only two top tips, my second tip is, uh, try force tapping everywhere. Yeah. Just any app you use, whether it's from Apple, whether it's from a third party, try force tap and see if there's something there. Yeah, you're right. And, and so often that's like the answer to all problems when you're stuck somewhere. I, the the whole, you know, there was a lot of talk when the, when the thing first came out about two things. The first was everybody's complaining about notifications, which I never really got because it seemed to me like, especially some of these people in a tech press should understand that notifications are entirely within your control. Um, but you know, it's not that hard to, to just notifications. That hasn't really been an issue for me. But the other one that I, I thought was kind of unfair is that the whole thing about saying, well, this is a different interface and it's harder to figure out. Well, it is a different interface. It's a smaller screen, but I, I don't think you should expect it any different. Um, I, I do think maybe it would be better if there was an, a way, if, you know, there's two buttons there. What if you, there's one button you could press that would always give you a watch face. Hmm. But, um, but I, I really think it really wasn't that hard to figure out. I haven't linked to it yet, but I almost certainly will. Um, before this show airs, we're recording on Thursday. It's probably going to air on Friday. Um, Stephen Orth, I, I'll link to it. <laughs> I'll definitely have it linked from Daring Fireball. I will try to remember to link to it in the show notes here. I'm making a note right now. Um, Stephen Orth had an interesting like first week with the iPhone um, uh, blog post. And one of his ideas was that he thought that maybe the, um, the side button, instead of being underneath the crown, should have been opposite the crown and that you could tap it to go back. So that, cause he found that anytime he was in any app that had like a navigation, you know, like here's the route and then you tap a thing and then you go in and then there's a little back button up there that it's really hard to tap that back button. And I completely six weeks in, I still miss back buttons a lot in that upper corner. Um, yeah. or depending on the app, I've, I'll try to be hitting that back button and even worse than missing it, I'll hit something beneath it. Um, like I've been trying, I've been experimenting with Wonderlist. Um, for like shopping and stuff like that, like create a little shopping list in wonder list. And then it's on my wrist and I don't have to go through the supermarket fiddling with a phone. I can just keep going to my wrist. But I find that sometimes, um, 
you know, I'll try to hit the top item to either check it off and I'll hit the back button that goes back to my list of lists, or I'll try to go back to the back of the list of lists and I end up checking the top item. Um, so his idea is put a hardware button to go back, which I don't think is a good idea. And I think if you put it opposite the digital crown, it would actually create the same sort of problem people have with the power button and the volume up button on the iPhones six where people, cause they're opposite each other. And when people put their fingers on both of them and then they try to squeeze one and they end up squeezing the other. Yeah, how many times you've got to take a picture and turn your camera, your phone off, <laughs> you know, the, um, that, that New Jersey guy, Mike Hurley and, and, um, and Jason Snell on the upgrade podcast a few weeks ago did kind of a thing about this. And Mike made the point that, you know, the home screen on the watch is the watch face. Yes. It, it's, you know, and I thought he made a really great point that it should be all, there should be one button that just gets you to the watch face at any time. And the problem with the digital crown is it it's inconsistent. Sometimes it does that. Sometimes it goes somewhere else. And I, you know what the guys at Apple, I'm sure they spent a lot of time figuring this out, but, but I do appreciate the idea of, of just every user knows they press one button and the watch face comes up. And from there, uh, you, hopefully you figured out gestures enough to be able to get to wherever you need to go. Yeah, it's a great, I, I really do think that that's true. And I think calling the list of apps, the home screen, I don't even know if Apple is calling it the home screen. I don't know if they even call it that, but it's not, you know, and it's, it only serves to confuse you and make you think that it's that, that watch works like a little iPhone. Um, and I do think that that is a great point um, because I think part of the beauty of, iOS is that the that's the way the home button works. No matter where you are, you can hit that home button and it's going to take you to the home screen. But then looking at my wife and daughter who neither one of them are geeks or want to be Mac power users or anything like that. They use the watches just fine. You know, I mean, they, they're not having any trouble using it. So maybe they did it right. I don't know. Right. But the way on like on iOS, like you just single tap that home button and it takes you to your home screen. And it doesn't matter if you're in an app, you hit the home button, it yeah. takes you to the home screen. If you're already on the home screen and you've brought up uh, control center or you've brought down notification center, you can hit the home screen and it goes away. Now, you don't have to because yeah. you could just tap to get it to go away. But if you don't know to do that because there's no button that says make it go away, just hit that home button and it takes you there. So I can kind of see the logic of if there was just a button that always took you to your watch face. Yeah, I think users would appreciate that. It, it's um, it is fun though. I'll tell you what. It, you know, it's just fun when Apple makes something new, like a 1.0 product. I agree, and just to see what they've done with it. And I know I'm a geek and all that stuff, but it's just cool to be part of it. Yeah. I think the one that excited me the most when it came out was the iPad because it just, I don't know, I just felt like it was such a a great idea, and it was just so awesome when it showed up. I but the um, but but both both the iPad and the iPhone when they came out, I spent weeks just like going over every detail and just playing with them. And the thing about the, the, the watch is I didn't spend that much time fiddling with it. I mean, I kind of got it set up the way I wanted. I got my watch face picked out and I put it on and I went on with my day, but I'm just using it just as intended all the time. I think it's a good thing, but it, it is different. Yeah, definitely. Hold that thought though. Let's take a break and talk about our second sponsor. Uh, it's another, it's not the first time this is actually a return sponsor, but it's been a while, but definitely not a tech sponsor. Um, I want to tell you about the best Caesar. Now this is not your ordinary Caesar salad recipe. Uh, this is something different. This one's got bite. It's bold. It's edgy. It's sharp. Uh, 
it's the perfect combination of ingredients and it's this powerful salad dressing will leave you wanting more. Yes, the sponsor is a Caesar salad recipe. Uh, and they're back and they did great with their last sponsorship, which is why they're back. I love this. I personally, I do. I love Caesar salad. Caesar salad is like one of my go-tos in any restaurant. If there's a Caesar salad on the appetizer list, I'm, I oftentimes I just stop even looking to see what else they have. Um, so it's an app. You go there. It's an app. It's free app. You can learn the recipe, enjoy it for a lifetime. Um, it's been downloaded in over a hundred countries and has been featured on many fine blogs and podcasts. And it was selected, uh, as one of the best new apps on the App Store by Apple is one of their featured apps. Uh, it will also be part of this year's upcoming documentary app, The Human Story. Now, that's that uh, Kickstarter project uh, that started last year. Uh, great part. I've, I'm actually uh, I've been interviewed for that uh, documentary, too. Uh, great, great thing that's, I think, getting a lot closer to completion. Uh, so anyway, The Best Caesar was one of the apps featured in the documentary. Uh, it's available exclusively for iPhone and iPad. Join tens of thousands of people from around the globe who've been using this app to learn to make the best Caesar salad. The talk show listeners, here's the deal for you. The Best Caesar is available for free on the App Store. All you have to do is download it and you will be filled with with this, with a burning desire to create your own Best Caesar salad. Make it, share it with your friends, devour it, eat it, take photos of every step of the process. Um, and you can visit the Best Caesar's Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and share your pictures. Um, perhaps you can even uh, pair your meal with a fine wine from our other sponsor, Last bottle wines, right? Get a bottle of wine. It'll go well with a Caesar salad. Sign up for both. So satisfy your craving. Get this app. Learn the recipe. Um, here's where you go. www.thebestcaesar.com slash the talk show. So it's the same slug as the other sponsor slash the talk show. Caesar is S-A-E-S-A-R.com. Thebestcaesar.com slash the talk show. Really is a great salad, I have to say. I said a really good idea for the talk show, like a, a, a running bit. It could be like a Seinfeld episode, and at the end of every show, you could like tell a story that involves all of your sponsors. Yeah, it could be. T- and just close it out. It could be tough. <laughs> but the ding, you need that bass sound though at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would help if we had uh, if we had the Casper mattresses and the the Hello Pillows, but we don't as they're our final two sponsors. But then we could. We could tell a little story about eating a salad, drinking a whole bottle of wine, and going to take a nap. nap. (laughs) (laughs) We finished the whole bottle of wine, and we needed a nap. Um, Here's one more. Before we go, move on from the watch, but um, this is one that I've been thinking about. Um, I have turned on, if you go to settings, text, and something, it's like two things that don't really seem like they belong in the same settings panel. Brightness and text, um, text size. Uh, I've turned on the option for bold text. Have you ever tried this? No, I haven't. So I think a lot of people probably haven't who might have, because when you toggle it either way, it, it pops up a dialogue that says, Hey, changing this setting requires restarting your watch. And so when the first week that I had it, I saw that and I was like, ah, I'll do that later. Cause I don't feel like restarting the watch right now. It takes like two or three minutes for the watch to reboot. Um, I really like the way it looks and I don't even think that it's an accessibility issue, although it could be for some, 
Um, but it's not under general accessibility. It's under text settings. It's like a legitimate option. Um, I really like the way it looks. Now, the truth is I'm, you know, as we spoke about before, uh, I'm 42. So my perfectly healthy right eye, uh, is already sort of on the beginning cusp of, um, requiring reading glasses. Uh, and my left eye is a mess. So, uh, uh, you know, part of it is it may be age related, maybe, but I kind of like it even like when I don't even have my contacts in and my eyes really can't, I can still see super good up close. Um, I really like the way the bold text looks. I really think yeah. it looks sort of, sort of like the way that in the classic Mac OS that like Chicago was sort of a bold, boldish font. I just, I just activated it while you were talking and I can see that. See, I, I know uh, you're very particular about typography, so I never thought you'd be the guy who, uh, who tested that. I think you would want the, the built in, but I really love it. And especially here's where I especially love the bold text is on watch faces. Not even, I feel like it looks a little yeah. bit weird when you get like a text and you see the text, you know, I, I kind of, what I would really like to talk about power user features, like if, if there was an equivalent of like the way you can do like defaults, right hacks on, on uh, Mac OS 10 to get preferences that aren't even available visually. What I would love to do is turn it off everywhere except watch faces and only have it on watch faces. It just, what it means is that all the complications have bolder slightly bolder text. It's not like bold. It's like switching from a light ish version of San Francisco to a, like a medium bold, semi bold version of San Francisco. Yeah. And I feel like it's a really good look. And in a way that to me looks a lot like, like a lot of real mechanical watches have fonts on the dial that are of this rough weight, you know? Yeah. And it really, and to me, it also, to go back to the viewing it in sunlight, it makes the complication text easier for me to read in sunlight. Do you, do you think they're going to allow developers to submit their own watch faces at any point? No, I do not. Yeah. I really don't because I think that, or, or I think most likely no. And I think if they do, it'll, it'll be a system that runs like the way Apple TV runs today where they will be partnerships that are cultivated um, yeah. through Apple, that there is no, there will, you know, there's an app store already for apps that has thousands of apps from anybody and everybody. Uh, I think if they ever do third party watch faces, it would be like Apple TV and it would be a cultivated list that's hand selected and approved by Apple at a very high level. Yeah. It's like on the pebble, they had, you know, it was just, it was a crazy, I mean, people had these nutty faces, but then occasionally someone would do like a really classy Futura based watch face that looked really, really actually better than anything that they had in their da own built David, you realize faces. you're speaking about Pebble in the past tense. Well, <laughs> that's true. In my life, it is a past tense at this point. <laughs> you didn't even realize it. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I have a pre-order in for the Pebble Time. I keep wanting to call it Pebble Color, which is what I feel like they should have called it, but it's called Pebble Time. Yeah. But the thing that I can tell is going to be, it's I can tell it's going to be a non-starter, and I feel bad for them, for me at least. Maybe some people, you know, some people might really still prefer it. But for me, the thing that kills it is the fact that this the display is so clearly different from the bezel around the display. 
Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't matter what to me, whether it's color or not. To me, it just looks so inelegant. It looks like you have a little screen strapped to your wrist. I just, I, I know it's cheaper. So that's a, that's a motivation. I know you can run it for several days, but the thing, you know, having used one for a year, just the fact that, it, you know, then it just didn't stay paired consistently with an iPhone. And maybe if you've got an Android device, you're better off. But with an iPhone, I just found it very inconsistent. And, and that was just, you know, frustrating. So, and I don't have that problem at all with the Apple device, right. of course. Um, one of the weird things about this, the, I hate calling them smart watches, just the new digital watch 2.0 era, these new computerized digital watches is that you don't really have a lot of choice. It, it really, it all starts with what phone you use and Pebble's trying to straddle these two worlds and I wish them the best of luck. I, that's why I pre-ordered the time. I hope that they make it and I hope that they, you know, I, I feel like we need more companies like Pebble to succeed, but I just feel like it's so hard because they're fighting these massive, massive companies like Apple and Google who have these resources that are just so hard for them to match. Well, they can't match the resources, but it, the fact that they can't makes it harder for them to compete. Um, but like the Android Wear versus Apple Watch, there's, it's not even a debate. Like whatever, you know, like if you're, if you use an iPhone, you know, I, I, Android Wear doesn't work with it. And I know there's rumors that they're, they're going to make it work with it. Um, you know, like in the next month or two at Google IO, but it's not going to be the level of integration that Apple watch has. Cause they're only going to be able to do the things that like Pebble can do with iOS, which is all limited by the app store restrictions for what an app can do, you know, and you're going to have this fiddly setup process for Bluetooth where you have to enter four digit code. Um, it's, it's just going to be limited. And, uh, if you have an Android phone, you you don't even have a choice to use an Apple watch. I grew up in the era where, you know, you'd be trying to use a Palm Pilot with a Mac or a Tandy. You remember those Tandy word processor, mm -hmm. you know, the little, I, you know, all the little things, you know, all this technology that wasn't Apple based trying to get to work with Apple. And it was such a pain that I just have like zero tolerance for even trying that stuff at this point. Yeah. I mean, if Apple makes both pieces, I'm just going to use them. Yeah. The thing that really, I had a handspring visor, um, my wife had one too, which, we, and she probably used it more than I did, which is pretty interesting because it, you know, this is back around 99, 2000. Um, and I remember it was when I was working at Barebone Software and my pal Jim Korea, who's now at uh, the Omni Group, like, he did like the best thing ever. He bought like 25 like replacement styluses for the handspring visor. And so yeah. it was like a jar of candy on his desk, like, you know, just go and, you know, all right, Jim, yeah, give me five more. <laughs> Got one in every pair <laughs> right, of but then you never had to worry about because like losing your goddamn stylus was it, it. And I'm pretty careful with my devices, but it was like it was a common problem. But anyway, I sinking your stuff to your Mac was the biggest. I, I think it was what kept me from you know eventually made me abandon it. And part of the problem too was that the Macs of that era didn't really have standard system databases for things like that. There was no built-in contacts, you know, in the classic Mac yeah. OS, there was no standard contact. So it's like you could sync with something, but it was like a limited number of third-party options. And there was no standard system-wide calendar. I, I tell people, because whenever somebody gets into the discussion with me about app pricing, I talk to them about how my Palm Pilot, about every month or two, it would just duplicate all of my contacts. And if I didn't fix it, 
and another month I would have four copies of every contact <laughs> and so on. And somebody made an app and it was $50 and all it did was go out and knock out duplications. <laughs> and I was so happy to pay it, you know? <laughs> and now it's like, Oh, this app will change your life and it'll be, you know, it'll allow you to get your work done and go home earlier. How much is it? Five bucks, five bucks. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true. Uh, I think, uh, uh, <laughs> software used Cra- to be it's crazy. So I don't, expensive. it's like an inverse curve to like the price of a cup of coffee. <laughs> the more coffee gets, the more, the less willing people are willing to pay for apps. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joanna Stern uh, of the Wall Street Journal had a, uh, her column a couple of weeks ago was about how to fix up your, um, your contacts database, you know, that if you like her over the years have wound up, like she had like four entries for her dad. Like one was just his email. One was just his phone number, you know, one, you know, like if, if you have a, a relative, like you're, you have an uncle Bob, but he's also listed as Robert, you know, and it's two entries and you know, that there's a bunch of these utilities that you can, you can buy to, to, you know, fix it all. And it's, I saw like in the comments, people were like $4, yeah, exactly. But it's like, it would save you. Like, it's like her whole thing was like, you know, it, if you have 500 contacts and you did it by hand, if like these apps can help you, like they could, you could easily save an hour. Right. And so, and how, who doesn't, whose time is not worth $4 for an hour or whatever yeah. the price so is? Imagine you're on your deathbed and you can say, you can live another hour. It costs you four dollars. <laughs> what are you going to say? You know, I mean, I don't know. All right. So speaking it's, it's speaking nuts. of hourly billing, let's talk about you and your career. <laughs> so you're you're an attorney, and you yeah. had been. What was what was your practice? Uh, business. I'm a business attorney. I represent small companies. I've been doing it for 21 years. Right. But um, I was in a law firm the whole time until about two months ago, and I. I, I got out of there, man. I, I hit the brakes. So all of this other stuff that you've been doing, all the podcasting, the blogging, all the writing and all this stuff has all been on the side of you being a full-time partner in a law firm. No, 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 it was never a partner. It well, was uh, a, um, it, the, the way it was set up, it just wasn't set up that way. But yeah, I was, I was always a full-time lawyer right. throughout the whole process. Um, and now you are, you've, you've not retired, but you quit that quit that job. Yeah. Now you're doing this stuff, uh, full time, but you also have your own new law practice. Yeah. It's weird. You know, it's like maybe looking back, I mean, I guess I'll know in a few years, you know, it's a very public thing, you know, when you quit a job that pays well and you've got insurance and all that stuff and you're like, okay, and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to write about, you know, the Mac and, and do some law stuff too, but I, I wanted to have more control. And, you know, just, you know, as you get older, you just, that control thing is more important to you. I don't know. Maybe at some point I wanted to be like a big time lawyer in a big time firm, but that's just not me. I, I like representing small guys. I, my clients are, you know, I represent a lot of software developers and I do contracts for them and stuff like that, you know? So, um, this was something I could have done on my own, but I just didn't want the overhead. I didn't want any more meetings. I just didn't want all the stuff that comes with being as part of a big operation. 
And, and um, I've also been doing the Max Berkey stuff. So I wanted to be able to have more time for that. So I figured out if I worked a little bit less as a lawyer and a little bit more as Max Berkey, I'd have a better balance in my life. So I, I went out and announced that I've done this. And now the whole world can watch me, you know, go down in flames or, or make it work. I'm not sure. I'm still in that point with you where I'm looking at the Excel spreadsheet every month, but the, um, but it feels absolutely the right thing. I mean, I'm already, I was just telling my wife, I said, I got to make this work because there's no way I could ever go work for somebody ever again. I've got to make this work. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's so far, it's, it's great and I love it. And the community has been really good to me too. Jason Kotke and I had dinner, uh, a month or so ago. Um, uh, actually, it was when I uh, got the review unit for the Apple Watch. I went to New York the night before just so I wouldn't have to take the train in the morning. And, and, uh, Jason Kotke and I had dinner and we were talking about how, having been successful at this and having done it for ourselves full time for some number of years now has more or less rendered us completely unemployable. (laughs) Yeah. I'm already feeling it, brother. Like I'm, (laughs) um, I've, I'm certainly well known. And I think, I think that if I needed to get a job, I could certainly find one. I, you know, and then I think I would be, I would be let go within a day or two. They would be like, this is, this isn't working out. (laughs) Well, one of the things that surprised me about this whole thing was, um, I got a lot of new clients from Max Barkey. I mean, people had been listening to me in their ear, you know, power of podcasting and writing for all these years. And they're like, Hey, I could actually use you to help me with some stuff. And, and, um, that was a surprise to me. I had no expectation of any legal business from all this stuff. And so that was kind of nice, but, but it's also given me more time. So, you know, um, I'm working from home. I have an office, but I work from home more than I go into the office and I love it. I mean, you did a, uh, I think a tweet like years ago, just, you know, going back when you said, here's my new work shoes and you had a pair of slippers. <laughs> do you remember yeah, I that? Do. I don't know if you, you probably don't even no, remember. No, I do but, remember. Ever since then, that has stuck in my brain, and it's kind of pissed me off. I'm like, Gruber can have those slippers as his work shoes. I need to find a way to make that work. And hey, I'm there, man. It feels good. Yeah, that's like. In fact, I'm going to go buy a pair of slippers. I'm going to call the John Gruber slippers. My year of work shoes is uh, right now. I'm in the socks period, just wearing a pair of socks. Okay, Uh, but then it'll go to it'll be flip flops uh, sooner. Uh, You know. Probably like after WWDC, it'll be more flip floppy. Then it'll go back to socks, and then it'll go to slippers. Yeah. Well, you, you've got you've got the seasons there yeah. out here. It's just bare feet, pretty much. Yeah. It's, I'm upset though. The slippers. I think the tweet is a couple years old, and that it was uh, the best pair of slippers I ever had, and uh, I wore a hole through them, and uh, and I couldn't. They the I forget where the hell I bought them, but I went back, and they didn't have them anymore. And I, oh, I really wished that I had done what I always think I'm going to do, which is when I find something like that, that I really like, just pull a Steve jobs and buy like 20 of them and put them in a closet. And then, you know, I never have to worry about slippers again for the rest of my life. Cause my feet aren't going to change size. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Although there's a thing of uh, Steve jobs probably had a lot more space to store things like that. Yeah. My, <laughs> my wife always says that <laughs> she's like, don't buy more crap. But I, you know, I feel like I could. I take them out of the boxes. You know what I mean? Like I feel like if I if I could take them out of the boxes and you know the slippers, you could you could put that. You could put them all in one box. I'm definitely one of those habit people. Like um, when I had when I was going into the office every day and I didn't have court, I had uh, like eight pairs of Lands in gray slacks and like twelve blue shirts. And every day I wore the same thing, and everybody in the office thought I was such a weirdo. 
but it just made so much sense to me just to get out of bed and shower and put that on. That was the uniform. Yeah. I think that the slippers yeah. I loved the most were Land's End, actually, and then they stopped making them. Uh, and in fact, I, I go through slippers. Like my This job is so hard, David. I've, I go through slippers <laughs> so fast. I've In fact, I've noticed that the slippers that I've been wearing the last year or two uh, – now that they're sort of put away for the warm weather, uh, I noticed that the that they're they're sort of worn through. Look, well, you've made you've made the joke about was it your grandfather who was a coal yeah, miner? My maternal grandfather was was a coal miner. Mine as well. I mean, he also died of black lung. I mean, it's just. I mean, you stop and think about it. Or my, you know, my other grandfather during the Depression, they didn't have any money. They would go out into the backwoods of Massachusetts and tra- trap uh, red fox. And that's how they, that's how they ate. And that's how they got by. And I'm sitting here going, Oh, the font on this watch. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if he was here, he would just slap me. I know. I think on the one hand, I think on the one hand, my grandfather would have been, um, no, I I think first he would have been very, very proud because I think it was exactly the, you know, he, he personified that American dream of, I want my kids to have a better life than me you know my mom was a registered nurse went to nursing school uh and her brother was uh he didn't go to he went to like a trade school and was into like electronics like he sort of was you know had the gadget or still does he's you know he's you know he had like he was like the first guy i knew in my life who he had a video game system hooked up to his tv at the pong you know pre pre atari 2600 back in the the i don't know 77 something like that um you know, but they uh, both of them ended up with white collar jobs. Well, registered nurse is probably hard to call white, white, white collar. I mean, that's physical, but it's you know it requires a, a you know an education, um, and it's certainly better than coal mining. And I think he would have been delighted that his grandson you know had a job that is you know like mine. But I you know I don't know that he would have had much tolerance for my complaints about the. <laughs> Yeah, my I come from very blue collar roots too. I mean, my my dad was actually really concerned when I said I'm going to go to law school. He's like, "That's going to ruin you." He says, "You know, there's just no way you'll be able to be a decent person and a lawyer." <laughs> and um, it's funny because he was totally honest when he said it, and it it has affected my life in so many ways that that concern it it's always in the back of my head. And and you know, at points in my legal career where I could have jumped right or left, it always you know I was jumped right because of that statement you know it's interesting how your parents affect you on that yeah stuff. i had a, i took an instagram here let me put it in here i took an instagram the other week and it i let it slide this is like my thing and it's it i i i get when i get criticism online i just have a thick skin and i let stuff slide um but that's the picture i took and it's there's a hotel a couple blocks away here in philly it's it's a real seedy motel if you look at the yelp reviews for it it's called the parker spruce uh it's it's like the type of it literally is the type of hotel where you can go in and rent you know you can get it by the hour yeah um and it is closing i didn't know this until after i took this picture but it, it was a picture of these guys taking mattresses out of the hotel and they're the mattresses from like a CD hotel that uh, rents by the hour are, you know, really pretty bad looking mattresses. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was fascinating, but I, the caption I wrote is no one grows up thinking they will be one of the guys who disposes of old mattresses from a CD hotel. And, 
And a lot of people in the comments are like, wow, what a dicky comment. You're, you know, like as though I was making fun of these guys. And I, I guess you could read it that way, but that isn't what I meant at all. Honestly, to me, it was just like a slice of life. And I have nothing but total respect for these guys. Like th those guys, what I thought as I walked past them is, is I had the thought, like when I think about my grandfather, I was like, no, those guys are working for a living. That's, uh, that's yeah. a fucking job taking those, uh, hotel you know those mattresses out of a hotel and it it it's may it's not hot but that hotel is not air conditioned you know what i mean and moving one mattress yeah. is is hard work and these guys are moving you know i don't know what what it looks like there's like at least a dozen of them there um I, I, that's all i meant by it. i thought it was so weird that people jumped on me as though i was mocking these people i just thought like hey you know my my thought was the people who are going to read this maybe this will help you appreciate you know whatever it is you do yeah. that is probably a lot less arduous than uh, moving mattresses. It's so easy to get in trouble on the internet, <laughs> especially with an audience your size. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just, I just let it slide. But anybody who saw that and thought I was making fun of them, I really didn't mean it that way at all. I meant that. I mean, the, the way opposite. I, I kind of, it's like talking earlier. I mean, you would go back to work for a software developer if that's what it took, right. you know, or, you know, whatever we, I, I would dig ditches if that's what it, whatever it takes, you know I mean? And, um, you know, I just think we're lucky that we're able to get by without having to do that stuff at this point. Exactly. Cause I'd, I'd be really lousy at digging ditches. Yeah. Speaking of digging ditches, uh, I'll take a break here and thank our next sponsor <laughs> hover. Um, <laughs> uh, you guys know Hover. It's the best place on the internet to register a domain name. You need a domain name. You need a new domain name. Go to Hover.com and start searching. They've got great tools to help you search. Uh, they've got great a great list of all these new top-level domains, which have really opened a lot of one- and two-word, you know, this, that, dot, whatever. You know, there's dot finance, dot coffee, dot local. I, or I guess dot local is uh, bonjour, but... Uh, Anyway, there's a ton of these new top-level domains. I can't even hope to list them all. Uh, Hover can help you get a new domain on any of them. They can help you find a way to get a domain on .com, .net, all the classic TLDs. I don't even know what you'd call those. But even better than that, every, every domain registrar helps you register domain names. But Hover does it the right way. Um, you know, we talk about CD. I talk about that CD hotel. The top, the, the domain registrar business is in large part kind of seedy. It's like the online equivalent of CD where you go there and, uh, I, honestly, I'm not going to name names, but yeah, I can think of one that's a big one. Uh, you go there and the site is filled with junky ads. When you're trying to sign up, there's all sorts of, uh, upsells, uh, check boxes for things that, uh, that are checked by default that ought to be off by default or really shouldn't even be an option at all. Um, then you find out that if you want DNS privacy so that your personal, you know, your address and your phone number and et cetera, aren't listed out in a wide open for the internet for anybody who looks at your uh, DNS records, you have to pay extra for that. Hover has none of that. There's no upsells. There's no junky ads for other third party stuff on their stuff. All they want to do is help you manage your domain names the right way. Um, things like domain privacy, all that stuff. It's all included. And they have, amazing customer support, truly amazing customer support. Uh, they call it valet service. So you sign up to be a hover customer and you've got domain names at other registrars. Uh, and you're already happy. You've already, you've seen enough that, you know, yes, I want to move all my domain names to hover, but I've been registering domain names since 1995 
on this, that, and the other service all over the web. Just give your stuff, help that, you know, give your, your support rep at Hover the access to your, these other registrars where you have domains. And Hover's valet service will just move those domains. They'll do whatever it takes, fill out the forms, send the faxes, uh, whatever has to be done. They'll move them all into your Hover account. And then all of a sudden, boom, all of your domains are all there under Hover with the best interface and the best service. Uh, you don't have to pay for that. That The valet service is just part of being a Hover customer. And it just cleans up a hassle that is could be nagging at you for the last 20 years about, hey, I should uh, consolidate all my domain names in one place. Really, really great. Um, I... I have, I have domain names at Hover. I know people, everybody I know has some at Hover. Nobody ever like says, you know what? Maybe I'll go somewhere else after Hover. Once you go to Hover, you're like, why would I ever go anywhere else? So great. Um, here's a code that will save you 10% uh, on a domain name at Hover. Uh, missing links. And that is in reference to the fact that uh, the link bracelets on the Apple Watch haven't shipped yet. Uh, or I've only started to ship. So use that code, missing links, and you will save money and uh, they'll know that you came from the talk show. So my thanks to Hover, go to hover.com, H-O-V-E-R, and use that code, missing links, and uh, they'll know you came from here. So what else we got to talk about? Uh, I got a new Mac. Yes, I did want to talk to you about that. I, I um I got you know pulled in on the new MacBook, the super light twelve inch. Uh, All right, wait, stop, stop. This is- All right, you have not. You did tell me you got that. You did not tell me which color. I'm going to I'm going to use my psychic powers and I'm going to predict okay. that you purchased space gray. You bet. <laughs> you bet. I mean, I it's something different, but it's not gold. <laughs> so you know, uh, you know the fact that you can't order one. I, I remember when you have to pay extra for the black one. Uh, definitely of the, the, it was the plastic era. Yeah. But the, uh, so well, I, that's um, true. And it's true for of, the watch, right? It's talking about the missing links, yeah. like the space black link bracelet watch costs more than the stainless steel one. Now that's not more than just a color though. It's not just anodized that, that diamond, like what, not diamond, like carbon. What the hell is it called? Diamond, like carbon coating. The DLC coating yeah. is a real thing and it actually does add value. You know, it arguably does add like a hundred dollars in value to it. But anyway, you do have to pay more for black. Yeah, I, I, I've you know because of this switch in my life, I used to um, you know go to work for the man every day, and I had a fifteen-inch Retina MacBook Pro. It's the first, the very first Retina MacBook Pro, and it's a great computer, and it's it's a it's a beast, you know, and the nice big screen when you're sitting at your desk eight hours a day is is fine. But now that I've switched up. I don't need, I have a retina iMac at home and I'm working on that a lot and um, not using the laptop as much, but I still need one. So I thought, you know what? I'm kind of as a second computer, this may work for me. And uh, I was a little worried about the keyboard. So I decided to, um, to buy one and just see, you know, they've got a 14 day return policy. And if it's just terrible, I'll take it back. But I, I stuck with it. Now I'm going to sell the, the retina MacBook pro and, and uh, I really like it. I mean, it's it's cool having something so light and slim. You know, we I, the, the big joke in my life now is Disneyland because my wife is a complete Disneyland. Now, I used to be a Jungle Cruise skipper. I don't know if I ever told no, you that. No, um, I can totally yeah, see that, that, though. You were probably excellent. 
I want people waited for my boat. They would say, I want his boat. I'll wait. I believe that. I'll tell you someday. I'm going to be at WWDC. Sit down right. and I will tell you some great Jungle Cruise <laughs> stories. <laughs> um, but you anyway, know John Lasseter um, was a Jungle Cruise captain. I of do. Course you that. As I think, um, I don't think Steve Martin actually was on no, the Jungle Cruise. I don't think so. Yeah. But um, yeah, there, there's actually some interesting people that are former skippers. It was so much fun. I mean, it was like the greatest job. Um, and I had it through high school. Even when I was in law school, I, I would go down there and work nights because I just needed money. And like the boats would get stuck because at Disneyland, it's an old ride system and the boats would derail. <laughs> and you'd be stuck out there like 30 minutes. And, um, you know, you can't do anything. You got to wait for the guy to come to yank the boat back on the rail. And I'd be like telling people how to break their leases and stuff. You know, <laughs> <on> the <laughs> but the, um, you know, it was anyway. So, but now that I'm like, I have more control over my schedule. My wife wants to go to Disneyland all the time. So I'll drive her up there. And then I like go, uh, like over to a quiet restaurant with this new laptop and sit there and write contracts for two or three hours. And, um, I really like it, but anyway, you know, the, the aside is it's, it's a nice computer The the keyboard, I don't think is as good as the standard standard keyboard. Um, but it's good enough. Well, and it's, I, I feel like the using typing on the glass for low, these many years has lowered our standards for what's an acceptable keyboard. Like it's, yeah. you know, in my opinion, and again, I've talked to people at Apple about this and they have said, you know, that for, uh, you know, like with the iPad, like um, this was around the era when Microsoft Surface first came out and really kind of hung its hat on the fact that the cover had a physical keyboard. And there was a lot of speculation that Apple might come out with something like that. Who knows? Maybe they still will someday. Maybe they will with this iPad Pro that's rumored to be up, you know, upcoming. But the thing I heard from a couple of people at Apple is um, you cannot you cannot overstate just how good like some kids are today typing on an iPad, like kids who just don't have ingrained habits for physical key keyboards are so blazingly fast typing on an iPad. You just can't believe it. It's, you know, and that the, the long, you know, skating to where the puck is going is not worrying about, you know, those of us with habits on old clicky keyboards. My 18 year old can type on an iPhone as fast as I can, or probably very close to as fast as I can type on a keyboard as a touch typist. And not only that, she can type on an iPhone while not looking at the keyboard. I believe it. I totally believe it. And it's, you know, again, it just plays it, it, you know, it's a little different than the iPad argument, but not really is it plays into that argument of, you know, back in 2007, 2008, even 2009, uh, as people who are used to blackberries and stuff were thinking about switching they're like, well, you know, when, when they come out with the hardware keyboard, you know, so someone like me who needs to type can type, you know, there's this assumption that anybody who is getting by on a no physical keyboard iPhone doesn't really type on it. Whereas the truth is there are people who type lots of stuff on them. They don't type the traditional method, but they still, and type it's not really just young fast. people too. You know, Om Malik types a lot of his blog posts on his phone, on his iPhone. He does. Yeah. He, he, you know, I've seen him do it. He, he, you know, and he's, I can't say that he's as fast as probably as like a teenager, but you know, it, it, he's going as fast as he wants to, to be a writer. Well, with this computer, the, um, the retina screen to me was the big win. Cause I, I really need a retina screen. I, I cannot use a computer without a retina. I, I've always wanted a, a, a slim, 
notebook. In fact, somebody once loaned me an 11 inch and I tried it for a while and it just the screen, I couldn't look at it. It just bugged me every time I looked at it. And this is great. But the, the really crazy thing about this computer is um, I have this um, external iPhone charger. You know, it's one I got off Amazon. I think it's, you know, it's a medium sized charger. And I got thinking, I wonder what would happen because the power is going through the USB. Um, what would happen if I plugged the battery into the laptop? Would the laptop recharge the battery or would the battery recharge the laptop? You know, <laughs> so I bought off Amazon a USB-C mail to USB, the old USB standard, whatever it is, A or B um, a cable. And, and I just plugged in the battery to the laptop and it charged the laptop, which is awesome. Sort of like, me, sort I, like so one of those Mophie brick type things. Yeah, it's a, um, yeah, I have to pull it out. But I mean, it's, I think I paid like 30 bucks for it. It's hmm. like, um, uh, I'm not even going to try and say what the electronic rating is. I'll look it up in a minute and tell you. But the, um, it's, it's just something that you're supposed to buy to charge your iPad and your right. iPhone. You know, it's, you, you plug it in to, uh, and it charges up and it's got, I think, two USB ports on it, female USB ports, and you plug it in and you plug it into your phone. But the thing charges up the laptop. And it, it, if the laptop's running, it basically treads water. You know, it doesn't lose power, and the battery goes out slowly of this thing. But I'm able to add like five hours of battery life to it. So now I've got That's kind built of in seven hours. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. And then I did an experiment where I turned it, I, I ran it down to I think ten percent, and then just plugged the, the fully charged battery into it and went to bed. And it's very slow. I mean, it's not like charging really fast. But when I woke up, it was at like 75%. It was like, you know, so it was able to, you know, put a lot of charge back into the laptop. So, so now I really feel like it can go anywhere because I've got this little battery and a USB cord and this little light laptop and I can go anywhere in the world and, and just work for a long time. I feel like as time goes on, Apple and, and Apple's prowess at, at designing, at, at working with metals and miniaturizing components uh, grows more and more. You have to see their stuff in person to get it. And I think the watch is a perfect example of it. I mean, they, they've, you know, tons of commercials. They, they have a website that they've had up since September with hundreds of super high quality photos of the watches, every watch, every band from every conceivable angle. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten email from readers and listeners who said, you know, I was kind of going to wait for 2.0. And then I saw the watch and I was like, oh, my God, I got to get one. I can't believe I didn't order one on April 24th as soon as they saw it, but only when they saw it in person. And I feel like yeah. the difference between the MacBook Airs or, or all of the, the whole MacBook line and the new MacBook, you you have to see them at, when you see it in person. It I, I thought, you know, I'm I I. I like the idea of a minimal MacBook. I was sort of like, hmm, maybe I should have. I just bought a new 13-inch MacBook Pro last year. So, I mean, I'm not really in the market to replace it now. Um, but it did make me think, hmm, maybe I should have waited a little longer. Because that does seem like something, you know, if I have the Retina 5K Mac iMac at my desk and I'm only using the MacBook away from it, that seems like great. And then I saw it in the store and it was just like, it was just like an emotional thing. It's like seeing a sports car, you know, it's like, it, cause it's yeah. so much smaller and I've, and I use the 11 inch air for years just because I like the idea of the smallest possible notebook that you can with a full time, with a full size keyboard. Um, you, you just can't, the thing that blew me away was how much it looked more like an iPad with a keyboard than a MacBook. Like it just in terms yeah. of portability and size. 
And you get the Mac operating system, right. which, you know, still is, you know, gives you a lot of automation stuff that you just really can't do realistically with an iPad. Right. It's, it's great. I love it. And uh, I'm very happy with it, except I, I would not uh, sell the keyboard. I, you know, d- the keyboard is different and it's, I'm used to it now. It's like, there's a, there's like a happy medium because if you press too hard on it, you're just straining yourself because there's just not that much travel. Yeah. So you're like over pressing, but then you start pressing lighter because you don't want to overpress and you actually miss keys. You don't, you don't get the full, you know, throw of the key. And there's like a sweet spot in the middle. I think I've got it now, but it took me a few days to kind of get used to it. Yeah. My thing is that I've never liked any laptop keyboard and I've always appreciated yeah. that Apple does their best and really does. Like I remember a couple of years, it was obviously a couple of years ago cause it was Steve jobs. But at one point they were, he was introducing one of the new, some new MacBook, and said something about their keyboard engineers. And he said, yes, by the way, we really do have some engineers who all they do is work on keyboards. Uh, I appreciate that. I, and it shows, yeah. and it's totally not surprising to me that there are some smart guys and women in Apple who've just dedicated, they're just dedicated to making kick-ass keyboards or making the kickest assest keyboard they can, given the size constraints of something like the new MacBook. Um, yeah. Totally appreciate that. I think I could get used to it. I know that I probably wouldn't like it quite as much as the MacBook Pro, which has more throw. But I like my old 11 that I used for years had less throw than the 13 inch MacBook Pro keyboard. Uh, and, I, you know, I got used to it. And none, because nothing and compares just, to a nice desktop keyboard, in my opinion. And, and just the ability to take it anywhere with you. It, it, and when it's this light, you really can take it anywhere with you. And that is something yep. special. That that charger, by the way, I looked it up. It's an anchor. I got it off of Amazon. It's a 12,800 milliamp hour um, charger. And it's I can't. I just can't get over that. A That's phone the name brand, can, Anchor? 12,800 yeah, milliamp. All right, I'll look it up and try to put it in the show notes. Yeah, but just the fact that... A, an iPhone charger can charge my laptop and, and like add hours to it is crazy, you know, but, uh, that's where we are now. Yeah. The, I, I do, th- I do think it gets a, you know, everybody digs on it. There was an article that said the processor matches like the, the 2011 MacBook air, which may be accurate. At least the, I, I got the upgraded one. I didn't get the entry. I got the second tier, but the, um, but I don't think those articles are really fair to it in terms of like memory access and the SSD speed, mm. Because it works fine. I, I'm not using it to do Final Cut or iBooks Author. I'm using it for things like, you know, OmniFocus and and word processing and email and Safari and stuff. And it's just fine for that stuff. Um, it's, I don't know. I Again, I just, and I feel like as much as you, if you're torn before you see it, it's like, I feel like once you see them in person, any kind of debate in your head is settled. And it's like, you can tell yourself in the abstract that, you know, maybe, you know, I'll just wait a couple of years before I get a retina screen on my MacBook. I'll just get the, the MacBook air because I want more. I want a couple of USB ports or I want whatever, uh, or I want the extra performance, you know, the way that the 13 inch MacBook pro or MacBook air is still faster than this new MacBook. Uh, go see it in person. I'm telling you, it's like, you just get this emotional appeal. And to me, the MacBook airs look suddenly look so dated at, in the Apple store, like the non retina screen. And it's funny. Cause I've been depressed about the fact that like, the vision problems that I have. And I've been thinking like all my life, I've been waiting for like 
retina. And I, I've always known it was coming that we'd get these displays that have like print quality resolution. And it's like, that's when I turned, you know, hit the forties and my vision starts to go. And then I have this thing with my left eye. And so good. It's like, you know what though? It's like, it actually is the opposite. It's like the retina screens actually help, you know, like the fact that my vision isn't so good. It's not that I can't appreciate it the way I would if everything had gone retina, like in my thirties or let alone my twenties. God, that would have been amazing when my eyes were fantastic and I could see everything super, super tiny. Um, but even with problems, it looks better. It's like, I can totally tell every, you know, looking at a non-retina screen, it's, it just looks, it, it's gross in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I, I've got this theory that, you know, the MacBook air is, is going to go away. Oh, I think it's I definitely going to go no, away. You know, it's just, I mean, you know, just like when the MacBook air came out, the MacBook at, at the time eventually went away eventually the new MacBook is going to become the standard machine. And then the MacBook air is going to become. I think, I think the formula is very simple. And I think a lot of people have overthought this. I think it's simply the fact that the entry level price, once it goes down, it really can't go back up. And the entry level price for a Mac laptop has dropped to eight ninety nine, And that was a couple of years ago when they first added the eight ninety nine. 11 inch MacBook Air, right? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, but there's a reason why they haven't dropped it further. And, you know, part of the reason is that Apple just doesn't, you know, compete low end. But I think it's so that when they make a transition like this, they don't have as far to go to catch up. And I feel like the MacBook Airs go away as soon as they can sell the current entry level MacBook One or whatever we want to call it you know, the MacBook one port for eight ninety nine, yeah. Right. So I feel like, you know, a year from now they'll come out with new MacBook ones with new specs at the price that it's at right now. And they can sell the one they already are making right now for eight ninety nine, And then at that point, the MacBook air goes away, but they can't do it. Yeah. They couldn't do it now because they couldn't just say all, all right, you know, you used to be able to buy a, a MacBook air for eight ninety nine, but now it starts at eleven ninety nine. And even just the way they named it tells you that's what exactly. I, in fact, it's almost like the biggest telegraph strategically, you know, of their future strategy um, that I can ever think of from a name. Or in fact, though, the entry price is twelve ninety nine, so it's even higher. So it's it's got a ways to go. I could even see them doing it. Maybe, maybe if they could get it to nine ninety nine, I could see them sort of. And maybe what they would do at that point is is drop the thirteen inch. MacBook Air and only keep the 11 inch around at 899. Like maybe phase out the 13 inch first and yeah. only keep and and only keep one model of the 11 inch around which is the 899 one. If they could, you know, once they can drop this one to 999. But that's the only thing holding them back. They and, and they you, have, usually they, they have no sympathy for the people who need two USB ports or whatever. No. And usually they, they're pretty eager to get rid of old stuff. But then I look at, they're still selling MacBook Pros with spinning disks in them. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised those are still on the market. Yeah, it's funny what they're willing to keep around at the entry level. I, I'm not yeah. sure what the market at this point is for the, the spinning disk MacBook MacBook Pro. Yeah, I, I, I got to feel like that might be, uh, of all the of all the devices in the Mac line that, so there's only the 13 inch, right? Or do they have a 15 inch too? Yeah, there is no 15 inch with a spinning display or spinning disc. So, 
somebody told me it was education, but my guess would be education if they're going to buy a Mac would be at the 11 or the 13-inch MacBook Air entry level. Yeah, I just don't see what the appeal is of that 13-inch entry-level MacBook Pro. It costs ten ninety nine. I just don't see what what the what the appeal is of carrying all that extra weight around for something. I guess it has better graphics than the the MacBook Air. I don't know. Some people, um, I, I'd say probably mainly non geek people, are very concerned about the loss of that optical drive. They're like, I want to watch my DVDs on the airplane or whatever, and they'll buy whatever Mac lets them do that. I guess that's it. I. I I don't know. That seems crazy to me, though. It's just, and it seems, yeah. or it seems, at least it seems un, un Apple like to me to, for them to be worried about that. Yeah. Cause I don't know. Spinning discs, it's just seems, you know, the only reason that you have a spinning disc is to, you know, rip, rip your stuff to digital format. Yeah. I, I SSD transition, and I was, I'm old enough to have remembered the floppy to hard drive transition. Years yep. ago, right, we're with him, and then just a few years ago, when we went to SSD, it felt to me like every computer just got way better. I mean, if you're listening and you haven't put an SSD in your computer yet, that is like the the go to upgrade. Right. And it's not that SSDs can't fail. I mean, of course not. I mean, any all disks fail eventually, and you know, corruption can happen because of software, not just hardware, but the the stability of SSDs versus and reliability versus hard drives. It's just night and day. It's just the craziest, you know, and and the worst part is of all the things that can fail if people don't have, you know, good backup. And we could, you know, do a whole show about backups. I know on Mac Power users, you guys are, you know, rightly so. If there's anything to be religious about, it's having good backup, you know, policies in place. Uh, duplication, triplication, you know. But yeah, let's face it, a lot of people don't. And if there's anything that's going to fail, it's the hard, a spinning hard drive. And it's like the worst thing to fail because it's the thing that could cause you to lose the stuff you care about most. I, I imagine myself like as this like gray haired old geek talking to some young geek and explain, yeah, it was spinning 7,200 <laughs> revolutions per minute. And it had a little needle that would touch it. And if it didn't touch it in the right place, all of your data was right. lost. <laughs> I mean, they're just going to look at us like, you know, we're driving model. It's a, it's a marvel that they work as well as they do. It truly is. Yeah. It, a mechanically, it, it's a mechanically a marvel that it works as well as it does. But you know, if you think, wow, that seems like something that might fail frequently. Well, exact, you're exactly right. Yeah, I totally think that. Now, more I'm staring at this 13-inch MacBook Pro, and I cannot believe that it's actually a like a current, like a device that you yeah. can buy. I wonder if that's a difference between new Apple and old Apple. I wonder if they're more willing to keep stuff a little bit longer. Yeah, it's now. not, you know, the, the MacBook Pro line isn't too complicated, but it just sticks out a little bit. And I'm not quite sure what, what the market is for that. Have have you tried uh, just switching gears? Have you tried the photos app? Have you tried this whole thing now? You know what? That's a great thing. Let's close out the show talking about photos. But before we do, I have I have to thank our last sponsor, um, and it is our good friend, uh, our good friends at Fracture. You guys know Fracture. They are one of the uh, biggest supporters of this show. Uh, I love them to death. They have a great product. What they do is they take your photos. You take photographs on your iPhone, take them on your camera, whatever you want to do. You take them, you send them to Fracture, they print them directly on glass. I don't know how the hell they do it. They've got some kind of proprietary apparatus that they take your digital photos, print them directly on the surface of glass, right there on the glass, and then they ship them to you in these fantastically clever things that are packaging material 
It's like a box that protects it in shipment because it is glass in there. Uh, and then you open it up and the cardboard that's in there is the apparatus you need to do something like hang it on a wall, prop it up on your desk, put it on your mantle, uh, anything you would want to do. They have an enormous variety of sizes, everything from little three by three type things to, uh, giant 23 by 29 inch, uh, wall size, poster size, um, sizes, everything from small to large, really great quality. Uh, cannot emphasize even with iPhone pictures, cannot emphasize just how well the, the, you know, I know megapixels is overrated as a camera quality thing, but we've gotten to the point where like eight megapixel pictures, you can blow them up really big and they look great. Um, What's their size? I'm looking at their site right now. So their large is 15.6 inches by 20.8. And they have an extra large that's 22 by 29. So really big. You can go really, really big. They've also got square sizes. So if you've got, you know, and let's face it, we're just talking about Instagram. A lot of us are framing our pictures as squares right now. Uh, squares go up to 23 by 23. They've got 11 by 11, 5 by 5. Uh, really, really great for Instagram type pictures or pictures you've framed, you know, as a square. Uh, cannot say enough about the quality of their stuff and how fun it is to get it and to actually see your photos somewhere other than on a glowing screen to just hang it on a wall and appreciate it. Um, Father's Day is coming up. You can uh, order them in advance. Really, it's just a no-brainer. That way you don't have to think about it. You really don't. It's, it's like the greatest. It, it sounds lazy, but I'm telling you, it's the greatest because your relatives love getting pictures of family members. It seems really personal. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, so go check them out. Really, really great stuff. They've got a deal for uh, the talk show listeners. You go to their website, FractureMe.com. FractureMe.com. Use the code DARINGFIREBALL. All one word, DARINGFIREBALL. Uh, and you'll save 15% off any order. And the prices are great already, but you can save more just by uh, being a listener of the show. Uh, you guys are ordering these things like crazy. I can't appreciate it enough. That's why fracture keeps coming back to sponsor the show again. Keep it up. But I, I cannot say highly enough how much I, I personally endorse their product. It's, it's just terrific. So my thanks to them. I heard, uh, Mark Arment talking about how he had his apps done in fracture. Yeah. And, um, so I had all my books done cause I've written several books and I had them done with fracture prints. But because I'm a narcissist, I hung them downstairs in like my family room. <laughs> so <laughs> when everybody comes from my house, they see like this wall of book covers, and I don't know, I can't help myself. But man, they look it good. Is, it, I, it, make, it makes me happy. Just yeah, maybe I it. shouldn't emphasize photos, you know, but it really does work well with images of any kind. I know I've been in Marco's office and I've seen his apps, and it, they look great. They really do. I mean, a app icons are so big. Somebody pointed out recently, I, it's, but like a a, a Retina app icon. The assets for it take up more space than would have fit on a on a high density floppy disk. Like, so you couldn't have even fit an app icon <laughs> on a floppy disk. Yeah, it's so easy to say. Back in right. my day, talking about that, <laughs> the so transition easy. from floppies to to hard drives. Yeah. Um, all right, so photos. This was another reason wanted to have you on the show. So, uh, the last episode, I think. I, I think just exactly what I said, episode 255 of Mac Power Users. Great episode. You and Katie go really long on on the new photos for Mac and the whole uh, iCloud photo syncing thing. Um, so we don't have to repeat it here. It's a great, if, if anybody out there who hasn't listened to Mac Power Users, 
great episode, really great introduction to the show. And if you're interested in the details, um, but long story short, I think all of us were kind of skeptical. Well, that's the story. It seems right. to me like everybody for years has been saying Apple can't do cloud services. That's, that's their weak spot. It's not never going to happen. And they released this photos app and they've got the iCloud photo storage. And granted you have to pay for it. Uh, I mean, assuming you have a decent number of photos, but, but, and I knew the new photos app would handle libraries better than iPhoto did. I mean, I always had the impression for the last year or two that they had moved their engineering resources to something new and photo iPhoto was kind of lingering, but whatever the new thing was going to be, it was going to display your photos just fine on your Mac. But the big question mark to me was, will this iCloud photo thing work? And when I make a photo on my phone, will it show up on my Mac and iPad? No problem. And will all this magic stuff they, they showed off last year come true. And, you know, in my opinion, it did. Damned if they didn't pull it off. Yeah, and, and nobody's talking about it really. I mean, I mean, we've talked. We did a show on it. We've got a lot of people listening to our show. I've I've done this field guide on it, and I've only had like a couple people complaining about performance or cloud sync. I mean, there are a lot of people hitting this thing hard with like thirty thousand photo libraries, and it's. Yeah, working. I think that the skepticism was actually twofold. Is first is general skepticism about. Apple and cloud-based anything. And then second is that when it comes to photos, I think so many people had burned out on iPhoto and had run up to the performance limits. Like, and you know, bottom line, I don't know where the line is. And I guess it probably depends a little, maybe even on the size of the photos, like, you know, what kind of camera you're using to take the photos you're putting in there, but at a certain reasonable level of photos, like not like, Oh wow, that's, that's abnormal. But like, and it's probably just combined with the fact of how long digital cameras have been a thing, right? So like iPhoto comes out in the early 2000s with the, you know, iLife and the digital hub strategy of Apple. And everybody's only got hundreds of photos or a thousand or 2000. Yeah. And, you know, low, you know, now we're in the 2010s and everybody, everybody might have 10,000 photos and iPhoto wasn't dealing with that well. And you know, it's scrolling problems, performance problems. It just, and everybody was, you know, there was a, a vibrant third party market for, you know, utilities that would help you split up your iPhoto library, you know, and, and switch between different libraries because, um, you know, just keeping all your photos in one big library wasn't work working technically, but the whole idea. Yeah. And, and so that's a great workaround, but the whole idea of having to manage all these libraries defeated the whole purpose of iPhoto in the first place, which is supposed to be that, you know, Hey, you're not supposed to just, just throw Here's a place where you throw all your photos. And that's yeah. what photos foot, the new photos promised. And I think people were skeptical about that, but I think the truth is that, you know, quietly in the midst of all this hubbub about the watch, Apple has solved a massive longstanding problem. Yeah. And, and it, and it works. I mean, I just, cause I was running it in the beta and I was thinking, well, it's the beta. There's not that many people hitting the server, blah, blah, blah. But when it released, my wife's library is even bigger than mine and it uploaded fine. And it's, you know, it just works. So I'm really happy uh, to see that, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of smart people at Apple that knew that they had this reputation and yeah. this was something they needed to deliver on. But um, but it really it really does. So I got excited about it, and we we did a whole show on it. And it, the, I mean, the reason the weird thing is I was going to write a book about. I was going to write a book called uh, Photo Management 
for you know Mac and iOS. And I had a whole I have it on the Outliner. It's full of ideas and Dropbox and all these you know third party services. And it's a great would have been a great book. But then I started using Photos. I'm like, heck with this. I, there's no book here. I mean, just use Photos. Do you think? And that's not that's not true for the pros. I mean, I'm you know there's there's a, there's edge cases, but for most people, this will solve your problem. Uh, I do think that there is you know if there's a complaint to be had, it's that Apple's public statement is I'm paraphrasing, but that they're no longer developing Aperture or iPhoto in favor of they're going all in on Photos for Mac. This is their new photo solution, and I think the truth of it is that it falls somewhere in between. It is a better, yeah. it's certainly better at handling a large number of photos without question. I don't see how anybody could deny that way better. I, to me, it's, this is an objective or an objective statement, not a subjective one, way better than that handling a large number of photos than iPhoto ever was. I think subjectively it is better at editing photos. Uh, you know, the tools like cropping and adjusting the, I would almost say in comparison to iPhoto, it is objectively better because um, like changing the amount of light in an image, just turning up exposure doesn't do exactly that. It, it screws up other things. Whereas in this case, if you turn up to make an image to add more light, it turns down shadows. It, it does a whole bunch of stuff at once to make it better. So they're, they're bringing like having uh, more professional editing mm. abilities in that you don't get with iPhoto. So I'd say it's even better for that. Although you don't get the local changes like in aperture, you could locally, you know, increase the light in one section of the right. picture or not. And you can't do that anymore. But, um, uh, I, I think, you know, if you're a pro user then, and you, you really loved aperture, you're probably not going to be happy with no. photos. And um, it, you know, and I know that there's a lot of them out there. I know that, or, or even if you're, you know, semi pro prosumer or whatever you want to call it, I know that there's a lot of people out there who, honestly evaluated both Lightroom and Aperture and preferred Aperture. And I, I'm a long time uh, Lightroom user, but not like in a pro sense, just like, <laughs> like a total pro, very much on the Sumer side of prosumer. But I like Lightroom and I know that it's sort of got like a funky UI, but I like it. And it, to me, it's not like an Adobe UI. It's like a, just a unique UI that I thought is very thoughtful. Uh, really like it. But I totally can see why I even as a non non professional photographer, I can see the differences in Aperture and Lightroom, and I can see why people preferred Aperture. And those people are kind of left with the short end of the stick here because Photos doesn't do enough for them, and they already had decided that they didn't like Lightroom as much as Aperture. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it does seem like that's kind of a trend for people who are using the Pro apps from Apple yeah. lately. I mean, they're they're aiming lower, I think the what they the fat middle or whatever they call it but the um but but for most people i mean because and, and i think that and i and i totally acknowledge those people are not going to be happy but for so many people such a great many more people they were completely baffled by what to do with their photos because they're taking you know hundreds of pictures at one event on their phone and they just leave them on their phone or they they figure out how to get it onto their Mac or their, and they, you know, they've got a folder somewhere and it's not backed up and they can't access it. And it's just completely crazy. And whereas with this new system, we were at a family party and someone was talking about something that funny that happened in 2006. And I was able to pull up a picture of it on my phone and it just like blew their mind. <laughs> it is true. I find that the way that they automatically, um, 
you know, the, the, the interface that they've come up with this sort of years, you know, and at the years level, it's clearly, you can't see what the, the, the details are, but that you, if you just remember when something happened vaguely, you can go back there and, you know, you remember it was sometime in August. We went, you know, we went on a cruise in August of 2009 or whatever. So go back to 2009, go down to about where August is. You probably see a lot of blue because you're, you know, on the ocean and just start zooming in there and you're going to find that photo. Yeah. I was surprised how well it worked on a Mac because it seemed like a great interface for an iPad or an iPhone. And I think, well, I'm not sure if that's the best thing to do on a Mac. But when I started playing with it, you know, really, it is pretty nice. You can just scroll. You can see the year. You know, a year is maybe a two or three inch block of, of very, you know, small thumbnails. And so you can go back years very easily. And it's just, you know, and having been in iPhoto with a crazy lag time for so long, it's it feels like, you know, jumping into a sports mm. car. I do think, too, that it plays into something that I've been saying for a while now, that Apple... And, and I know people sometimes overuse the word quietly, like the Apple quietly blank. But I do think that they've sort of quietly become, and by, but, but not by luck, not that they, you know, backed into it, but purposefully have become uh, arguably the leading camera company in the world. Or certainly, without yeah. question, one of the leading camera companies in the world that they make devices. Now they just happen to be iPhones and iPads, um, but they make devices that people use as their primary cameras, or if not their primary, it's an important camera to their life. And part of that is more than just the in the today's world. It's more than just. Uh, taking the photos. It is everything that happens after them, putting them, you know, having them in a place where you can instantly share them um, and having them be organized. And the whole idea, the old school way, I mean, you still need to do it if you're taking photos with a third party camera, a standalone camera, you still need to connect it by USB or pop the, the, you know, the card out and put it in your computer um, and import them. But the idea that you need to do anything more than that to have them everywhere is just a non-starter, or at least in terms of it should be. And now with photos, it kind of is. Yeah, I, I just, I, I cannot get over how little has been made of this, but it just seems to me like this is a really good sign that, you know, Apple can figure out the cloud and they can do big data. Yeah, this I, way. I think part of it yeah. is that institutionally, I think it is truly an important thing to them. I really do. And I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of people at Apple all the way up to the highest levels um, who are, you know, pretty serious about their photography. I mean, Phil Schiller is definitely serious about photography. I mean, I know that for a fact, like as a hobby, you know, it's, you know, he lists it like two, it's like, he's got like two or three things in his Twitter bio. It's like Apple cars and, Apple cars, sports and photography or something like that. Uh, it's interesting about the I iPhone as a, a camera though. You know, when you first had pictures on the iPhone, definitely a point and shoot was a better camera. And now that's not the case anymore. And I've got a, a mirrorless SLR, you know, yeah. it's, it's not a super nice one, but it's yeah. nice. And, and it takes better pictures. Than Which one do you phone. have? What, what do you at have? This point, I have the Olympus PL five. And um, I bought that 20 millimeter pancake lens mm -hmm. with it. And it's a 1.7, I believe. And that's all I ever use. I just use that pancake lens. It's yeah. great. But the um, but I'm getting to the point where I um, the, the, I don't the, even use that that the much. The 20 on that, though, is in 35 millimeter equivalents is probably like a, like like a 40. 40. Okay. Yeah. 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 
it's pretty tight, but the, um, but you know, just the 1.7 is great. You know, you get a nice blurry background. Well, the, the 50 it's though good. is the classic lens though. Like if, you know, like yeah. the old school advice on how do you learn to be a photographer is you get a 50 millimeter prime and put it on your camera and then pretend like it doesn't come off. Yeah. I had a, I called it the nifty right. 50 I had on my old can, yep. uh, can 80, 80 bucks great but, market. Right? Yeah. And nine, it was like $90, it was yeah. a $90 lens new from Canon and you could get the Japanese version that doesn't really have the U S warranty for 80, which is what everybody did. I, I got the, um, a friend of mine had the 1.4, it was $300, but he sold to me used. I got it cheap. And, um, and I'm in orange County. Canon's national repair facility is in uh, Irvine. Hmm. And like, it's like 80 bucks and they'll fix the lens. And I had like that the lens broke like two or three times. Cause every time I let somebody else use the camera, they would start cranking it. Like it was a zoom mm. and just do something to it. But the, um, but now I, I got tired of carrying the big one. So I got the Olympus and now I'm getting to the point where I almost use the phone exclusively. And it's not because I mean, the, the pictures are close enough for most things and having the geo data and everything there and having it already in my library, the moment I take it to me are becoming so convenient yeah. that it's, it's taking over. The thing for me is that it's um, my 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 photos have always been, or at least in the in the iPhone world, post iPhone world, I've always I've always had two two collections of photos. The photos that I took with my regular cameras, which you know used to be an iPhoto years ago, for the last I don't know ten years have been in Lightroom, and then my iPhone photos, which have been on my iPhone, and I never bothered to put my iPhone photos into. Lightroom because it just didn't seem just didn't seem worthwhile and I didn't want to take them off. I don't wanted to keep them on the phone. And now in the new world, they're both, it goes both ways. I not only have my iPhone photos on my Mac, but I have any photos that I took, you know, that I take with a regular camera just magically show up on my iPhone. Well, it, it seems like they've solved a big problem for people. Yeah. And, um, and I don't, I feel like we're not, you know, and again, it's just the way human beings are. We're, we're way more likely to spend time complaining about what isn't right than we are praising what goes what goes well, but I really do feel that the photos thing, you know, you can add a finally if you want, but I really do feel like it's kind of gone unheralded and it really, and I know it's not perfect. I'm sure that there are people out there listening who had something go wrong during the initial upload or the import or whatever. Um, but for the most part, I think it was a really clean launch and I think it worked really well and it continues to work really well. The thing I know one time that I was blown away is, uh, took taking screenshots with my watch. And you take a screenshot with your watch and then it shows up on your phone, uh, you know, almost instantly, at least it's in most cases, by the time I unlock the phone, it's already there. Um, and when I want to send it to somebody, but I'm on my Mac, I usually take the screenshots on my phone and like airplay them to myself, to the Mac, and then put it into chat or email or whatever. Um, and then like a week ago, I was like, Hey, maybe they just show, I guess they are supposed to show up in the photos app. And if I, you leave the photos app running, they just show up. It's so great. Well, it's like when I was doing my, my wife's 36,000 photo upload, I figured the whole network was going to be crashing. And at the same time, I did, I did, instead of writing the book, I did a video. I did this big video on photos. And so I was testing it and I'm literally like making corrections on my iPad. And I've got my MacBook Pro open there while I'm doing the corrections. And they show up almost immediately as soon as I finish the correction. And it's like, that's another thing that to me is super useful now because I can use my iPad and sit in front of the TV. And like everybody, when I go to a family event, I shoot like 200 pictures of which really 20 are the ones I should keep. 
but I never have time to go through and sort that out. So I ended up keeping all these pictures and now I'm going back to these old events and just like with the iPad, it's very easy to see them and pick the ones you want to keep and the ones you want to delete and even make cropping adjustments and little things like that with your finger. I mean, just the whole process now is easier. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just really happy to see it. I was worried. Um, if I had one worry about Apple over the last few years, it, w- it seemed like they had this hole with cloud services. And obviously, everything's heading that direction in a lot of ways. And it seemed like they, I don't know, you know, it, there's a perception of institutional arrogance or that they feel like, well, we're making so much money with this other stuff. We don't have to worry about that. I was worried that one day they were going to wake up and be irrelevant because they never got the cloud figured out. And um, this to me is like a, a really great sign that they're they they understand yeah. that. I've got a lot of chores ahead of me on the photo front because I'm not all in. I've still got my you know last ten years of photos. They're all still in Lightroom, and I think what I'm going to want to do is export everything. Maybe I'll, you know I've got the space. I'll keep. I'm not going to like delete the Lightroom library, but I want to export everything and then import it into photos and have it there. Um, but one thing I'm not I'm not sure about. Maybe I, hopefully you can answer it. Is what goes on when you shoot raw and you import on, on a real camera? I don't know, like like your Olympus. You shoot raw. Do you shoot raw? Uh, not anymore. I used to. All right. Well, what if you did? Right if, if you shoot raw and you imp- it, it'll take raw. And then what syncs over to your iOS devices? Did, did it, does I, iPhoto take care of uh, creating JPEG thumbnails? The the way it works is the uh, the thumbnails you're getting are super small. Uh, that's the reason why you can see your right. whole library on your on your 16 gigabyte phone. And then when you tap on one of them, it hits the internet and it pulls down a bigger version. But it's not going to pick down like if you look on your phone screen, it's gonna it's still going to optimize when it downloads the image. At least this is the way it was explained to me in a way I I, I discovered. So you're never going to get like the full size image downloading to your phone. I don't believe there's any way to do it. You know, they're, they're going to be. What if you go? Paying attention. What if you have two Macs though, and you're willing to? I know there's a setting. I forget what they call it, but there's a setting that's like optimized photo storage. And what that does is it means, do you really want all of your photos here locally and in the cloud? Or do you just yeah. want to have these thumbnails and we'll pull them down on demand? And I know on your last episode, you had the good advice that on at least one of your Macs, you should definitely have it so that your whole library yeah. is there. Just it in the name of duplication. So that yeah, I, if and as much as I like right. it, I don't want to give Apple everything in the cloud and just say it's safe. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. why not have it both places? Just in case the server, you know, that something happens on the iCloud photo storage and your photo get library on in the iCloud gets corrupted. Well, you've still got your photos on your Mac and then you can re-upload just in case. Right. Murphy's law. Yeah. But, but what if you have two Macs and you want both Macs to have your full collection? If you import raw on Mac A, does Mac B get the raw image too? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't tested that. I know that Mac, if both Mac A and Mac B are downloading all images, you're going to get, I believe, full size images on both Macs. I I would assume it that you get the raw image, but I'm not certain. I'm thinking you do. That's a good question. Because like for edits, you'd want the raw version wherever you're doing it. And I'm, you know, and I'm wondering where the, um, like your iPad is only going to get a JPEG. Uh, even yeah. you know, and even when you pull it down and get the the full version of it, and I'm just wondering where that JPEG gets created. Does it get created on the cloud, or does it get created on your Mac while it's uploading to the cloud? And I'm kind of suspecting that maybe it gets created on your Mac, which is why that upload process is CPU intensive, not just network intensive. 
Yeah. And, and when you think about it, the fact that you can crop the, the downloaded version on your iPad, but it's still going to crop the full version on your Mac. I mean, there was some serious engineering work done to make all that happen. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, this was not right. easy. Um, I'm trying to think what else, anything else you want to talk about this week? No, man, it's uh, it's all good. It like a, it's been it's been a pretty exciting couple months uh, for I, people that like Apple stuff. I totally agree, and it's you know, and and here we are heading right into WWDC, which is you know, you know, peak. You know, like the first half of the year, this is like the the peak, and then you know they'll they'll go silent for two months, and then you know ramp back up in September again. But it's I'm going for the first time in my life. I'm going to WWDC. Wow, you've never been there before. No, I, I've always gone to Macworld, but, you know, like, I'm a power user, I'm not a developer, yeah. but, you know, Macworld's not around anymore, and now my new employer has a very liberal policy, <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you know, Jason Snell, yeah, I'm sure you saw it a few weeks ago, he wrote, uh, was it for iMore? I forget, because he now, it's like, it used to be, yeah. you always knew where Snell was writing, but now it, he's yeah. bouncing around, but he, you know, that the WWDC has taken over, it's the hub of the Apple community world, whether you're a developer or not. Which is weird because it, you know, years ago, you would have never thought, you'd never recommend to someone who wasn't a developer that they go to WWDC. I certainly still wouldn't recommend you try to get in the lottery and get a ticket if you're not going to actually take it. No, I didn't even try. Right. Yeah. I'm not even going to try. But the, uh, but it's going to be fun being up there. I have so many friends that are going to be there. I'm, I'm talking at, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say it or not. I think I'm going to be talking at AltConf about stuff. So. Yeah. Well, there's AltConf and then there's a new conference, uh, Layers. Uh, what is the URL for the layers conference? I'm actually talking at that one. Uh, it is uh, bringyourlayers.com. But if you just type layers conference, I'm sure it'll come up. But it's uh, yeah. like the Tuesday and Wednesday of WWDC week. And it is literally right around the corner. I mean, like it, whatever hotel anybody would pick for going to Moscone, uh, where the layers conference is, is in the, it's, it sounds funny that it's in the mall, but it's like, that it's a very strange mall up, up on market street. <laughs> I went on the self-employed budget hotel. I'm at the Mosser and I don't have my own bathroom. So <laughs> I'm going to be, I, I told my wife, I said, well, all of my, um, you know, you know, sometimes I would prefer not to be around people. You know, sometimes you're just not yeah. good at getting out. This will solve that problem for me because I'm not going to want to be at my hotel at all. <laughs> so there's, I'll be like in the lobby of your hotel. But it, I think it's a great idea. And I do, I, you know, the, the, my Catholic upbringing is such that it, it, uh, uh, there's like a guilt. Like, I feel like, you know, you got to have some kind of work really. You can't just go on a boondoggle. You got to have some kind of way to justify a trip like this, but there's so many things. There's alt conf. There's this new layers conference, which looks great. And it's, uh, they call it a design conference for the Mac and iOS community. Um, you don't have to be a designer to go, but it's, you know, certainly if you are, it is a fantastic thing. It's a great deal, a tremendous lineup of speakers, but then you can be there for the week. And it really is it, it there's no zero doubt in my mind. The WWDC is now what Macworld used to be, which is the hub where, you know, people like me and you can get together and we don't see each other very often. I haven't seen you since Macworld some number of years ago, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, uh, the, the difference though, Macworld gave normal users a chance to go and just kind of see what's new. I mean, it, there was a, a need that we've lost with Macworld and I don't know what, if somebody ever is going to try and fix that, but, um, you know, it's still not a complete replacement for Macworld, but it's the best we got at this point. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should say, because um, I know people are asking, I've, the last couple of years I've done a live version of the talk show during WWDC, uh, and that is on again as well. That will be on uh, Tuesday night 
uh, as it has been the last few years. Nothing to announce yet in terms of tickets or anything, but I think what I'm going to do, uh, and this is why I'm bringing it up on the show, is um, so that listeners of the show get the first crack at it, is next episode, whatever my next episode next week, uh, I'll talk about it on the show before I announce it on Darren Fireball. And so if you want to get a ticket, it has sold out. I have to admit it has sold out every year. So um, if you want to get in, the best way to get in would be to uh, wait for me to announce, not this show, next week's show, which would be episode uh, 120, I believe, uh, and quick download the show and start listening. And then I'll give you the, you know, listen to the show and then you'll you'll know where to go to buy your uh, tickets for that. Keep your Tuesday night free, though. Tuesday. I'm totally going to that. I can't wait. Yeah, you're in. You don't have to worry about a ticket. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm just really looking forward to it. Just in a couple of weeks, so I don't know what to expect, but uh, I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna be on the road that week. I'm not gonna be hanging out in my hotel room with no bathroom. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> David Sparks will need to borrow your bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll just, just be like in the hotel lobby. Those of you who are coming, just be willing to offer David your your bathroom. There you go. <laughs> You need to bring like a, you need to bring an external battery pack for your uh, iPhone, and you need to bring a porta potty, and a toothbrush, and a toothbrush. <laughs> Somebody should make an external battery pack for the, that that has a little toothbrush that flips out of the side. I stayed at the Mosser once years ago for MacWorld. I was they had me like giving like the one of the very first sessions and like one of the very last. So I, and as back when MacWorld went a whole week, and I, so I ended up having needing like seven days there. And I wanted to save money, so I got one in. It's great because the sink is right next to the bed. You can literally just sit up in bed and brush your teeth. <laughs> Where is the Mosser? I know. It's, it's, it's next door to Moscone. I mean, it's the best in oh, terms of location. Oh, I know it is. Yeah, I don't think I've, I've never stayed there. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I just decided this year I was going to go on the cheap. Oh, I've, the, uh, I have totally gone there on the cheap over the years. And, uh, you know, I did. You know what? A lot of the cheaper hotels in that area, they're it's easy to complain about it, but they're, you know, they're, it's not bad. There's that's great. It's great. It's right there. I yeah. mean, you can just go back to your room and drop stuff off. It's nice. But the, uh, but when they told me, it's like, well, we don't even have any rooms left with bathrooms. I'm like, well, how exactly does that work? <laughs> and they're like, well, there's a community like bathroom, like for four rooms, you go out in the hallway and you, you can you know, lock yourself in there. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to be spending much time at the hotel. Uh, yeah, but that's like you said though. That's good though. You're you're not coming up there yeah. to uh, to hang out in a hotel. Um, I do think the only the, the downside WWDC isn't that big compared to so many of the conferences there because it you know the the, the uh, Moscone West has pretty significant limitations on attendance. Like they just can't make it bigger. Um, but there's a lot of people who go now who aren't going don't have WWDC passes. Yeah, but nowhere near as big as like Oracle world or uh, GDC, even the game developer conference. Some of those ones that take up Moscone South and West have, uh, and, and the, the hotel prices skyrocket. There was one year where the new iPad event, and I think it was while the iPads were still coming out in the, in the spring uh, coincided with one of those conferences and I, you know, got the invitation, you know, the press pass, you know, the typical Apple, you know, came out like a week before the event and I went to book and then like all of the hotels were like $800 a night. I was like, what the hell? And it was because of this mega conference. So yeah. WWC week isn't like that, but 
the overall boom in San Francisco and the way the economy is just on fire there has really driven up hotel prices. That's like the biggest, that's the biggest downside to having this thing in San Francisco is that there, it, you know, for people who are on a tighter budget, it, it kind of stinks. It's going to be fun though. A couple of years ago, like around 2008, 2009, um, because of the, the economic, you know, shit show of the world, it would kind of help because it was like when daring fireball was still really flying low to the ground economically, uh, you used to be able to get like a four, four and a half star hotel for like $175. Like there were a couple of years for WWDC where there was a gang of us who were staying at the Intercontinental, which is literally right next door. I mean, it's like physically connected to Moscone West. It's great. And yeah. we got we got deals on Hotwire for like $175. And it's yeah, seriously not happening this year. <laughs> no, it is nowhere near like that. But it was it was fantastic for someone, you know, who's really, really did not have the budget for six nights in San Francisco. Yeah. Anyway, I will see you there. Thank you for being here. Let's get some plugs in. Man, do you have stuff to plug? <laughs> yeah, I guess the big plug for me is just maxsparky.com. That's where all the stuff is. Maxsparky.com. Your new photos from Mac field guide is there. You can just go to maxsparky.com and there's a big link to it in the sidebar, but it's just maxsparky.com slash photos. This is a two and a half hour screencast tutorial guide, like mega guide, like a book in screencast form. Yeah. I mean, like I was going to do a book, but this one, it, since it's just one app, it made more sense just to look over my shoulder yeah. and learn it. And it was kind of weird making it because there's some of my, you know, I use my family library because you need, where am I going to do it where I have 30,000 photos that I can use as an example? So, uh, but it's great. And I th I just went soup to nuts. And at the end, it ended up being two and a half hours, which was probably longer than I would have liked it to be, but it cover everything. So there you have it. It costs 10 bucks. Yeah. Now. I on your show you tracked your hours that you put into yeah. it. <laughs> this is embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. No, you you you're you're embarrassed by this. You you spent eighty one hours in the production. Eighty three. Eighty three hours in yeah. the production of this screencast. So in other words, though, I don't think that's embarrassing at all. Though I think that's the way film and video production is. I mean, that's why it takes you know a three month shoot and two and two two years of pre production for a Star Wars movie to come out. Right. Like you, you know, and it, the Star Wars movie is going to be two hours. You know, it's, it yeah. takes a long time. Uh, but that 10 bucks, it's crazy good deal. But in other words, this is not, David did not just uh, turn on the screencast thing and start talking for two hours, which is exactly what I do with the podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's not like that at all. There's, imagine if this, imagine if this show had gone on for 80 hours and then painstakingly we picked out the two hours of it that were solid gold. That's what this is like. So for 10 bucks, it is an absolute steal. And if you have any kind of interest in the new photos, um, pretty much make up, you know, both the app and the, 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 the syncing, the iCloud, you know, the iCloud yeah, side covers everything, covers everything. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. You go to Max Parky to get that. And you got your show over at, uh, uh, the, the Mac power user show at relay.fm slash MPU. MPU is Mac power users. Yep. Uh, one more about the markdown book. Yeah, why not? I need to update If there's that ever book, a time yeah. to plug the Markdown book, it would be your first appearance on the talk show. <laughs> yeah, right? the, um, yeah, I wrote that book with Eddie Smith. And um, I, I talked about Markdown a lot on the Mac Power users because I just think it's so 
awesome. I mean, at, on the lawyer side of my life, um, you know, the, my industry runs on Microsoft Word, but I like to have text in a very mobile, agile format, and I want to be able to open it on my iPad or my Mac or whatever. So I was a big proponent of using text until the very end and then letting someone format it. And then I found Markdown and it like made it possible for me to do a lot of the formatting myself. So I'm not the person you were thinking of when you, you know, gave birth to this, but I still use it all the time. And people were writing the show and say, you keep talking about Markdown. I don't understand it. And it's not that hard. I mean, you could figure it out, but sometimes people want kind of a more, you know, a walkthrough. So Eddie and I did this book and we did, we screencasted the whole thing, you know, how do you make emphasis or how do you, and we picked some of our favorite apps that use Markdown and showed how you would write Markdown and export it and the various things you could do with it. And, um, I really need to update that book. Frankly, I, I'm, I'm going to try and talk you into doing an interview with me on the next update. Cause we put some audio interviews in there with people that use Markdown in their daily lives. And, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And all those books I do in iBooks author, um, are really big. I mean, they're like, you know, you know, they're like gigabyte sized books because they all have like an hour and a half of video inside of them. So, um, if you get one of those books, just be ready to give it a few minutes to download because there's a lot of data in there. Right. But it's, I will, I will tell you right now. Yes, I will do an interview for for the next version of the Markdown book. Excellent. It's cr- oh, it's criminal that I blew you off the last time. I didn't say <laughs> no, but I never actually made myself available. Well, I figured you were busy, I, well, so it's fine. Yeah, busy, lazy, you know. But anyway, but, it's criminal that I didn't because it's really an honor. It's the type of thing. It's just the type of little thing that you just, I never expected it. I get like, long story short, I, I made Markdown and I, I thought I should give this to the world. I shouldn't hold it. I just, this seems so good that I, you know, maybe everybody should use this. And then I put it out there and, and, and it didn't really take off that quickly. It was very slow and, um, people were still using like my, and again, I totally understand why, but like, it was like the little tiny bit of, of, of timing that was weird was I put Markdown out there and like the next week was when Basecamp debuted. Um, you know, now they're just Basecamp company, but you you know, 30, the former 37 signals. And I know Jason, uh, very well. I know, I know David, you know, everybody, I, I, I don't know any, everybody there. I used to know everybody at 37 signals. Um, and all the comments, and messaging in Basecamp was done using textile, Dean Allen's thing, which is sort of a, a same type of thing as Markdown, but different syntax. Um, and it, it's, you know, just, it was just like, oh, that sucks. And I totally know, it, like within one week, it's not like they were going to use Markdown instead of textile. I mean, obviously Basecamp yeah. was in development for, you know, I mean, you can, you can make apps with Rails pretty quickly, but not in a week. Um, but I just thought, damn, I wish I'd come out with this sooner because I'll bet they would have used Markdown instead of textile. And then it just didn't go anywhere. I don't know. And people, some people would, you know, use it. And, but then like, it was like the slowest, surest, like uptake, like this slow, steady thing. And then all of a sudden it's this thing and everything has Markdown built into it and people are writing books about it. And that to me is just crazy. In my um, in my experience, the reason Markdown became so relevant to me, I was using it to write blog posts from Max Sparky, which was great. But what really made it a big deal to me was the fact that iOS has never really supported rich text very well, and and even if it did, I you know I don't want to use rich text on iOS. I just want things to be fast and to sync quickly. You know, this is before photos and Apple proving its bones, and so you know having plain text that you can format. And then open on iOS devices 
I mean, Markdown was so, it was like a solution made for a problem that didn't exist yet. I would disagree that, that macOS doesn't have good support for rich text. I think it had great support for rich text. The problem is there's never been a rich text format that has been um, long-term stability, you know, long-term, not stability, but uh, to, it, they always get old and then you can't, you lose it, yeah. right? That there's yeah. no compatibility. So even RTF, which RTF is still supported great on Mac, but they never ported the RTF stuff to iOS. So anything you have in RTF doesn't go to iOS. Yeah, I guess did I say I meant iOS? Is that that's the problem? Right. Is iOS you're stuck, and if you want to write on your iPad and on your Mac, you need a solution. And, and Markdown really just right. does that nicely. And every it seems like every writing app. I, I remember when that was like a feature selling point of a new app that it supports Markdown, and now it's like everybody just supports Markdown. Right. It's just in it. Right. Uh, I've talked to my friend Brent Simmons about it because I know Brent was on my side, but it's it's a little bit unrelated to Markdown. But there, you know, around that time, the late '90s and the 2000s, there was the you know still was a a, a living w- war over styled text versus plain text for email. Like, should you be sending yeah. styled text email where you can hit Command I and your word is actually italicized, or should you be sending plain text email? And I was staunchly on the side of the plain text that this was a protocol that was designed. In the terminal era and it's everything should be plain text and that way everybody will be able to read you know it, it'll look yeah. right anywhere and clearly the plain text side lost the war for email and nobody even really it's not even something people argue about anymore but it was really more of a case where we lost the battle email was just a battle but long-term plain text uh has has won overall. I mean, all sorts of new things are all just plain text. Facebook is sort of a plain text platform. Twitter is definitely a plain text platform. Nobody even thinks about it anymore. Well, and when I look at the stuff I wrote in MacWrite in 1992, I don't know. I'm sure there's a way I could get it, but I don't know how I'd get it at this point. And that's just to me a reminder that you know, the stuff I spend writing, I want to be able to access forever. And I mean, that's another reason why Markdown is, yeah, I, is a good and plain text. I think people got thrown off because in the, the whole early era of PCs, we kept getting more powerful CPUs, bigger displays, better rendering capabilities, better abil- access to, you know, a collection of fonts cross-platform, et cetera, et cetera. And so we could keep making things fancier and fancier in terms of WYSIWYG textiling. Uh, and I love to design stuff, but in terms of what the canonical storage format for this stuff should be, uh, I always thought it should always be plain text because that way anything and everything that you do in the future will be able to read it. And I feel like the way people have caught on to that now where things like Twitter, which was originally designed as like an SMS platform and then turned into a web thing and now turned into a mobile thing. And now people are getting them on their watches and stuff. If everything is just plain text, every time there's one of these new things that comes up, it's all it has to do is render text. I'm just, in some ways, I'm glad I can't access those old things because I remember I had a fascination with the original San Francisco font. <laughs> and I'm sure I used it inappropriately a lot. Well, there was no appropriate way to use it. <laughs> yeah. The, well, there you go. I used it inappropriately, period. God. I think that would be such a great Easter egg if, like, the Apple Watch on it, on, I mean, not great. Apple would never do this, but it, it, <laughs> if, like, April 1st, if your Apple Watch, uh, displayed everything in the old San Francisco font. That, that would be so awesome. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to plug, David? I'm 
I'm great. All right. Thanks, Thank John. you so much for your time. Uh, you have to be on again sometime. Um, say hello to Katie, and I will see you next month at uh, WWDC. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. I'm uh, going to stop.